Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett and I have just finished editing together all of the uh, mini-interviews that I conducted at Dragon Me this year. Uh, the show was um, uh, really busy, um, so there's a bit of um, background noise and stuff like that. Uh, the show's still going on today, so if you're in London or uh, heading into London and you fancy popping in to um, pick up uh, some of the... Um, some, some really nice stuff <laughs> um, and some, there's some quite good deals going on as well or just play some new games it's worth dropping by it's at uh, the Hammersmith Novotel um, so it's quite quite handy to get to um, and that's it so uh, we're just going to dive straight into the uh, interviews now enjoy I'm Sam Webb uh, I'm one part of Black Cats Gaming uh, and also head of product over at Modifius Entertainment uh, this weekend at Dragon Meet I'm trading with Black Cats Gaming um, and we are actually selling the first game that we made via our first Kickstarter, The Spy Game. It's been very good so far, I'm very happy with it. Uh, the Spy Game is a uh, high-level high um, uh, caper simulator. Basically, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. It's a 5e-powered game of international espionage and action. And you can tell I've said that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, so, so t- tell us, um, how, how, how do you become a good spy in this? You level up. <laughs> like, like all good D&D games, you level up. Um, you go on missions, you do well. You don't have to do well, to be no. fair. Um, but yeah, you, you level up. Um, uh, you can gain uh, you know, more class features. You can then span off into different subclasses. And you can multi-class. So once you reach level 20 and you're actually James Bond, you can be a bit of a fighter, a bit of a face, and probably a bit of a technician as well, because he utilizes the gadgets and stuff, doesn't he? That's good. Uh, how, much, how much is the game, and, and, and where, what stand can they find you on? Oh my god, I don't know where we are, but if people <laughs> walk straight in the door, they see us because of our big banner. Um, uh, but you can get the uh, core game with us, the core rulebook, for £30. That's uh, a special price for the, on the stand today. Uh, you can get a few, there's a few left of our like, uh, Kickstarter exclusive version with a nice leatherette cover uh, for 60 Yeah, I got it right. Uh, and then we've got the Game Master screen as well for £20. We've got the, our little dice sets for 10 So we've got a little custom polyhedral dice set. And we've got a couple of our mission books as well, Fuelish Endeavour and Deadly Data to get you started if you don't know kind of what missions to run to, you know, and you're a GM. Uh, and they're £5 each. Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, hi, so um, I'm Aled um, uh, from Leyline Press. We're here at Dragon Meat um, promoting our current Kickstarter, Salvage Union. It's a post-apocalyptic mech game based on the Quest engine. And um, I suppose the core thing about it is we've tried to make a mech RPG that um, uh, feels a bit less like tactical combat and um, uh, a bit more sort of uh, freeform. So it's a bit more narrative focused. Um, but we've tried to keep some of that mech crunch in. We've just moved it to the downtime. So we can still build our mechs. We can still salvage for gear and then use those parts to make new systems and modules and upgrade them and all of that good stuff. But it doesn't get in the way of playing the game, um, I suppose, is what we're trying to do. So. Um, uh, we're down here at Dragon Meat, obviously, yeah, promoting that. We have printed versions of our beta quick start, which we're doing as a con exclusive. Uh, so uh, if you are down here, then by all means, uh, come, and, come and have a look. Uh, but the free quick start is available on the Kickstarter page as well. So. It's very good. Um, you funded already, anyway. Oh, uh, we have, yeah. I mean, we funded in seven hours. So it was, yeah, yeah. 
It is, yeah. We're, we're just unlocking the stretch goals now. We've already unlocked a module by um, uh, Diogo, uh, Diogo Oskol, so um, our, our resident any winner who's writing for us. Um, I think we've got a couple more modules up our sleeves and a load of other good stretch goals. I think we've hit one uh, this afternoon, actually, as well. So the, the special edition is now coming with a dust jacket, which has the uh, Haynes Manual-style cover on it as well. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the designer. I actually designed this cover about two years ago because I was like, I want to put a mech on like a workshop manual. Uh, so yeah, no, um, uh, that that was very much in the works from a long time ago. Yeah. So this is this is the game for people who looked at Lancer, yeah, liked the art, yeah, then realised it's actually a war game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, essentially, yes. I mean, I I love Lancer. I've never actually played it. Um, I got the book because I was like, art, oh, everything, like, love the concept. Um, but, like, you know, I want to play it as a war game, not as an RPG. And um, so I was like, right, okay, well, look, how do we take that and change it? And um, uh, yeah, that's why we've used Quest. Quest's surprisingly versatile, actually. Um, when we first sort of pitched it, it was kind of like, oh, is that going to work? Because it's so simple. Um, but then we've layered a few extra um, sort of mechanics on top to help get that depth. Quest system. Yeah, using the Quest RPG system, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so using the Quest SRD, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you explain to people what that is and why uh, it's so simple? Yeah, so Quest um, uh, came out a couple of years ago, I think yeah. now, and um, uh, it's got a, a D20 core mechanic, no stats, it's a, it's a static um, resolution, and um, I mean, you've got a really good chance of success of most things, but it puts kind of tough choices in your way, and that's kind of the only thing, but then there are abilities as well. And we've used those abilities instead as sort of the mech systems and modules. <clears throat> and we've also layered another sort of level on top, which is heat and stress. So we can uh, do more things um, on a sort of short rest basis. So it's kind of used as like, uh, oh, okay, spend some heat, but then potentially put yourself at risk of overheating and you know blowing up your mech and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we, we find that it makes for a really good narrative base so that we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of, well, how many hundreds of meters away am I? And, you know, how much damage is this doing? You know, yeah, it's, it keeps it nice and simple. So we can really focus on sort of describing the scene and describing what you do as opposed to, um, you know, just looking at numbers. Yeah, yeah. Which is the danger of a mech game anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of the danger, right? Because it's, yeah. it's basically the aesthetic danger is yeah. um, stack porn on something yeah. like um, Alien style, um, yeah, black, yeah, black CRT, yeah, thing, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so loads of different numbers going to different points, none of it makes any sense. Yeah, that's the it's danger all, of it, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah absolutely. This is solving it. Yeah, this is solving it because actually, we don't really have any numbers. Um, the only numbers you've got, uh, we have three stats essentially, which is your health, um, how much stress you can take, and um, how much energy points you have or ability points. Uh, the pilots and the mechs we treat. Um, as kind of the same, they're, they're analogous systems. So where pilots have health points, stress, and ability points, mechs have uh, structure points, um, heat, and energy points. And then equipment and abilities translates to systems and modules. So like they're you know same but just different names. And um, so it makes it easy to hop out your mech or hop back in. And um, yeah, you know we, we deal with it like that. So. Um, so Salvage Union? Salvage Union, currently on Kickstarter. It's on Kickstarter until the uh, 5th of January. Um, uh, as I say, we're blowing through the stretch goals at the moment, so um, loads of stuff up our sleeve on that one. And um, uh, yeah, absolutely, back it. Um, get that Christmas present that you didn't realise you wanted. Um, yeah, get something for yourself. <laughs>
I'm Tamsin Henderson from Loki Battle Mats, and the most exciting thing we've got on our stand, I think, is our very first written book, which is Untold Encounters of the Random Kind. Very good, and that's the uh, that's the um, random table book over hundred. Yes, we've got a, a thousand over a thousand. thousand. Oh my god, I see. Over a thousand random. En- yes, <laughs> it's a bit of a beast. Yeah. Over a thousand random encounters. It's a hardback book, three hundred and fifty pages. But it's more than just random encounters. It's it's also a tool to let you build your own adventure so you could decide on your protagonist your your adversaries how that's going to plan out what sort of scale you're after and we've also put in some pre-generated adventures as well for 5e compatible and also some completely random tables, like more like your tavern name sort of random tables as well so we've got a bit of everything so how do you see people using that because you often see um uh, in later later source books will always have um They'll have like an adventure generator somewhere in them. Uh, do you see it being used as that? Could you even see this being used as something for solo play? Yes, it would be fantastic for solo play because it means you can surprise yourself, which yeah. is a, an amazing <laughs> gift. But uh, we're hoping it can be all things to all people, so you can use it as an adventure generator, so you can start off with literally a blank sheet of paper and use the book to build your adventure from there. Or if you have an adventure you're playing through, like one of the um, modules for the world's most popular role-playing game, perhaps, you can use our book to add to that and add some excitement, some new NPCs. What that, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> the name escapes me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It seems, it seems very good. It seems very good. I'm, uh, I'm very excited. Um, well, what else? Are you, what else have, should we be talking about? The other new thing we've got with us is uh, the wilderness books of battle maps. Mm. So, if you know about Loki battle maps and what we do, we do books of role playing maps, which essentially means you can open the book. There's an encounter area in front of you, and you can just get on and run your encounter without having to draw maps, or you can even use it to plan your game and design encounters around the books. We've got modular sets out, the Dungeon and Towns and Taverns, which are quite themed, obviously, for Dungeons and Towns and Taverns. And we finish off our trilogy this well, next year, early 2022, we release The Wilderness, which, as the name may suggest, is a book of many outdoor um, encounter areas, uh, covering across lots of different um, biomes. I always get that word wrong. <laughs> Uh, so you've got grassy tundras, forests, right through to mountains, iced areas, seas, coastlines. Any outdoor area you might want for any sort of fantasy um, So, let's say there's someone who doesn't already use um, battle maps at all, or any kind of prop whatsoever to run their games. Um, sell me on the concept. Why would, you, why would I use one? Well, of course, it, role-playing was done with Theatre of the Mind for many, many years. It's yeah. how Matt, our designer, started off doing it. Yeah. And this is a... I mean, obviously, games like fifth edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. Uh, Certainly the combat encounters are very tactical. So you've gone from a scenario where you can have, and you can still have a lot of immersion with um, with Theatre of the Mind and and through those sort of role-plays, but if you're playing fifth edition with tactical encounters, it really helps if you have a visualisation exactly with a five foot to one inch grid perhaps to help you see the scale of that. So you know where your lines of sight are, you know where your areas are. So if you're dropping a fireball somewhere, you know who it hits. Yeah. Is it bigger than the room you're casting it in? Would that be a disastrous thing? It's very clear in front of you. And a lot of people, of course, play with miniatures yeah. on the books as well. So that's a nice way you can enhance your game. I, I mean, I, I, it's something I found as a GM. I didn't know my players wanted to start using it. 
So uh, it's, it's something I think most people need to try out at least. Yes, like I mentioned Matt before, he's my, my husband, it's a family business, he designs all our maps, but he's been a DM over 35 years now. And he, for many, many years, never used maps at all. And the, I think he used a map, and very quickly in the bigger scheme of things, now we have a company that makes and produces map books. And that happened very, very quickly. So yes, once you, once you go maps, you don't go back. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm Anna from the Rainy Day Games Collective. Uh, I'm down here selling my wonderful solo RPGs, trying to live. <laughs> and also it's our first time exhibiting as Rainy Day Games uh, with myself, uh, Jack Harrison, Chris Bissett and Matt Sanders. And um, uh, so can you, do you want to give us a little potted uh, view of what you've got on sale yeah. here? Generally. Yep. Uh, generally, I have solo RPGs from the simulation-heavy Delve, Rise, and Umbra to the softer, cozy fantasy of Apothecaria to the weird scratch and journal of the Dick. Yes. Or to my partner's fantasy bestiary, uh, which is fantasy creatures redesigned by a zoologist. <laughs> that's very good. I haven't actually seen that. Where's yeah, that? that's right there. I want to actually want yeah. to go. We'll do that in a second. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the dig because yeah. this is the big novelty item yes. you've brought with you, mm -hmm. more or less. This is uh, this is the big funny thing. Yep. So this is thanks to my Patreon supporters. Uh, I was able to do something weird and experimental. Yeah. Uh, it is an A3 scratch poster, 21 grids that you scratch one a day. As the head of a paleontological dig, you're uncovering fossils and writing prompts, and I can't say too much about spoiling it, but let's yeah. say that. It's sort of inspired by The Mummy. It's turn of the century or whatever era you choose. It's got horror, it's got romance, and it's got a lot of bad things. Excellent. Um, I think it's good because it's, it's sort of like the... It's kind of a follow-up to Delve in some ways. It's like, if you like digging, yes. but you could do slightly less of it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose I do have a bit of a weird hidden obsession with digging here, actually. Yeah. <laughs> The rut is it's like an underground rut you've made yep. yourself here. Um, not a bad one. Yeah, I, th I think my next game will just be dig a hole, the RPG. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Go out, you, know, you draw a card and it tells you how many feet you have to dig. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm Jeff from uh, Oakbound Studio. Um, we do uh, old school, traditional, classic styled uh, lead miniatures, um, but we try and partner it with a uh, sort of contemporary strategic rule set rather than just a bucket full of dice kind of game. Uh, so, and what, what is the game itself? So the, the main system we have is called The Woods. Uh, it's a scalable miniatures game, so it plays in uh, roleplay mode, skirmish mode or battle okay. mode. Um, and it's a uh, diceless game, so everything is based on the stats that your models have. They combine in certain ways with actions on the tabletop to, to give you compatible ranges or scores if you're trying to um, if you're trying to fight or influence your opponent's so characters. In some ways, it's GMless. It is yes, yeah, yeah. You can you can obviously you can play it with the GM, but in in skirmish and battle mode, certainly it's designed to not to not need one. Um, but it is very objective driven. So at the start of the game, you and your opponent will choose uh, what objectives you're going to try and do during the game, um, and the uh, the intention is to. Um, provide some alternatives to it just being a sort of straight combat game 
So although certain warbands are very good at ploughing in and hacking and slashing their way through to victory, some warbands are very good at hanging back and shooting things, but you're, you're often not going to achieve your objective by doing that. Um, and in some cases, if you spend too much time and attention doing that, things can go horribly wrong for your side. So there are, uh, there are other ways of influencing the board. You can interact with terrain features. Um, you can use things like uh, coercion and menace and intimidation to, um, to make your opponent's models do things that, that you want them to do rather than the opponent wants them to do. There's a lot of um, sort of use and positioning of models is really, is really important. So it's, it's, a bit, um, it's a bit cerebral. Um, but it's also uh, extremely narrative because it's so heavily rooted in the stats of the characters themselves. So your, your storyline is generated by the characters acting as they would on the tabletop because everything is driven by that stat line and that profile. And then, do you make the minis? Yes. Yeah. These are really cool. Uh, I think we're going to have to both take a step forward. And start <laughs> okay. Now. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, sorry, everyone listening to this. Um, so um, there's this incredible, uh, like, crawling dragon. Yeah. The the Eedworm, Yeah. Um, which is very much inspired by uh, the sort of the sculpts of Nick Bibby, the the early Citadel sculptor, um, trying to go for a. I guess quite sort of naturalistic, gringly-looking yeah. dragon, and he's he's specifically he's a worm, yeah. so he doesn't have wings. Yeah. But we do also sell a wing conversion yeah, kit for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah quite, that's quite a funny thing. Just yeah, uh, wings just ten quid. A bag of wings. Yeah, that's it. So for, suitable for any dragon, but yeah. specifically designed to yeah. to go. Best dragon in the yeah. KFC. <laughs> dragon wings, hot and tasty. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, and yeah, most of these uh, miniatures are, are sculpted in-house. There are a few in our range that are um, were commissioned sculpts. We've had other other sculptors every now and again doing bits for it, but primarily we're sculpting and casting everything ourselves. So it's very it's a very in-house unit. Yeah. Are we talking sort of? Um, oh, uh, we, shit, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 The, the spin caster is out in the shed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, thank you very much. My name's Matt Sanders and I write for Our Sealed Library. Um, I'm selling my games and the games of some friends and other publishers here. Um, and I'm going to talk about my game We Sail Beyond, which is a collaborative world building tool for fantasy RPGs where you, as a group, play sailors in a tavern telling rumours of far-off lands and draw a map using those rumours to then play through in the rest of your campaign. Excellent. Um, so, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it, it, uh, does it actually work in, um, with uh, 3D glasses on? It is not 3D glasses compatible. Oh, no. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's just slightly trippy looking. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how does it work? Give us a bit more how it works. So, um, each player will take on a role of a character in a tavern, um, and the idea is that your party are about to embark to this far-off land. The sailors in the tavern have all been there, or claim to have been there, or may wish to sell you a map of this far-off land. And you play those sailors, they tell stories of things that happened to them or people they knew in this far-off land, and you document them to create a map. Um, then the GM running the game has some tools to establish if those rumours are entirely true, less than the truth, more than the truth, entirely falsified, or etc. And you steadily build this hex map that then you can play through as a hex map, or you can just enjoy the storytelling aspect of it. People have done both, um, where they just run it as a single session thing and have fun and make a map. People also use it as a content tool for uh, the beginning of a much longer campaign. 
Uh, I'm selling that for £15. It comes with a cool sticker of an octopus and a mini GM screen that gives the GM a quick reference for most of the tables I'll need. Thank you very much. No problem, great. So, my name is Zach. I am known as Jelly Muppet on various parts of the internet, and I run a role-playing game publishing company called Soul Muppet Publishing. Uh, we make games such as Best Left Buried, Orbital Boost, Stygian Library, and we're here at Dragon Meat with a big, big stand full of lots of delightful things from the indie RPG scene that you will find nowhere else in the world that we have published and brought into print for uh, audiences at the convention to hopefully enjoy. Um, so Matt was just telling me that you've got a lot of um, a lot of stuff from uh, South America yeah. and elsewhere. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, there's some parts of the world where it's easier to make RPGs than others. In places like the UK and America, you can get access to really good printing mm. and cheap distribution and borders are easy to manage. Whereas if you are in other parts of the world, such as Latin America, Southeast Asia, Africa, it can be a lot more difficult to get access to sort of things. We've got a couple of games of us at the moment. We've got from some of the leading creators in uh, RPG LATAM, so Latin America, and some SEA creators as well in Southeast Asia. Uh, the big thing we're running at the moment is a Kickstarter called LATAM Breakout, which is essentially, we've given a load of money to people from that part of the world, uh, designers from Latin America, and they've just come up with a unique and brilliant selection of ideas. It's on Kickstarter now. I'm sure it'll be uh, off Kickstarter by the time that this reaches print. But... Um, Essentially, it's five games, all, part, all by five different creators from that region with some really diverse perspectives, making games that you just, you know, would, wouldn't be made by Western creators and giving them access to Kickstarter and stuff like that. That's great. And so, why do you think that's important? Because we, we often get this question of, um, like, representation in gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I think that if we only let the people who make games like western white men do then we're only going to get certain types of games so some of the stuff that's being created by the folks in latin america yeah so some of the games from uh, latin breakout are just the kind of thing that very very different so one of the games is like it's called here there'll be monsters it's like an exploration of uh, the monstrosity of the queer body through the experience of like a a trans woman living in um in South America. I can't tell you which country off the top of my head. I don't want it to end up wrong in print. <laughs> um, and then a couple of other games, like one of the pictures for one of them is, what if we play D&D, but instead of being about, um, you know, like old school fantasy, it was instead like playing Final Fantasy on a pirated, you know, JPEG back in the 90s or whatever. So just a completely different experience. And so just by listening to more voices from more parts of the world, uh, you can get global perspectives that kind of don't reinforce the type of games that we're used to seeing already that you can a dime a dozen you can get yeah. a dime a dozen at places like dragon meat That's right. yeah. Um, yeah well thank you very much yeah absolutely wonderful talking to you chris hi i'm, I'm joe norris of adversity games i am here uh demonstrating and selling for the first time ever my board game night lancer my first published board game uh it's a competitive cyberpunk game for two to four players with optional solitaire rules for one to four um, currently rated 7.3 on BoardGameGeek and getting a lot of positive reviews coming in from my Kickstarter backers and uh, customers since I put it out. Um, so t tell us a bit about the, the kind of um, world we're in here. So it's, uh, a, it's a dystopian crumbling Birmingham of 2099 um, and you're kind of fighting out in the underworld with your unique, unique Night Lancer character <coughs> trying to survive and build yourself up so you can escape and avoid the collapsing society before it takes you down with it. Very good. So we've got we've got dice, we've got cards. Um, 
Uh, can, you, can you explain how the, maybe the mission structure works or anything like that? Okay, uh, so see, the dice and the cards, it's all about character building. It's got a very role-playing kind of theme element yeah. um, and is inspired by a role-playing kind of role-playing game campaign, taking it to one short game session. The main thing each round is the mission, is the mission cards yeah. and each mission has three stages that you do in order yeah. and at each stage you've got two different routes you can take, allowing you to navigate through the mission through, through the strategy that suits your character and your strategy for the game best. And so how does it feel? Does it feel like an RPG or does it feel more like a dungeon crawler? I think it's more like an RPG. Yeah. Um, so it's all about taking the, the really, the inspiration for the game was to take a role-playing game campaign and make it a short board game that you can play in an evening. And it's taking the really important decisions like that, like uh, what missions do you take? Do you take the dirty, you know, nasty assassinations or kidnappings or, or extorting money? Or do you try to keep it the targets, like you know, going for the, the wild corporations and take them down yourself, and making that sort of decision for your character. And do you get all the cyberware and cut out all your meat and <laughs> replace all your body parts? Uh, do you kind of try to build a contact network and have lots of lots of friends and build the community? Which way do you take it? And that's that sort of important, vital, central decision to the role-playing game, all in this board game. Uh, you can find me at adversitygames.com. Uh, I have a store set up there, and you can buy my game. I'll answer through the store. So I'm Willow Woods. Uh, I'm a fantasy indie author. Um, so I've got um, two, two of my novels, uh, Where I Belong and Shadow Courtesan. Uh, so they're both standalone fantasies. Uh, Where I Belong is like your uh, traditional fantasy and Shadow Courtesan is about uh, dark fantasy about vampires. Good. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the, the plot, the characters, um, what kind of thing we'd expect? Uh, so in Where I Belong you kind of um, follow Alexandra who washes up on the shores of Bournemouth with absolutely no, no idea of who she is except she's in a wedding dress um, and as you kind of go through her journey she, she realises she's a princess from another kingdom and she jilted her fiancé at the altar on their wedding day. That sounds cool. Yeah. That sounds great. Thank you. Yes. Is that, that's um, so Bournemouth? Yeah, Bournemouth. As in Bournemouth as in? As in south of England? Yes. Somewhere in England. Yes, okay, not yeah. mystical Bournemouth. No, no, it's, in, it's Bournemouth. <laughs> so it was originally set in Portsmouth and then I stayed yeah. at my friend's in Bournemouth. Yeah. And she had an amazing flat and I was like, I want to set it here now. Yeah. So I got like a last minute change. So, yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, well, um, and, so what, and what, are you, what else are you bring to the table? Um, There's other bits and bobs I can see all about. So I've kind of launched today uh, some new bookmarks that have got the emblems from um, both books and some badges with the, the same ones and I've started making jewellery as well to go with them. Lovely. So keep them busy throughout the pandemic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, my name's James, I work for Phalanx, we are a publisher of largely historic themed games but also other types of contemporary games or fun games as well. Um, so, uh, so tell us um, what, what have you brought here today that we're most excited about? The game we're most excited about is a game called Purple Haze. It's going to be launched on the crowdfunding platform GameFound next month in January. Uh, Purple Haze is an immersive simulation. Um, it's in part story creation, in part campaign game, in part tactical combat game, where you control the fate of six marines on um, tour in Vietnam. The game has eight linked missions and it has a campaign element because your marines can get experience points over the course of the campaign which will allow them to upgrade their specializations, they may take damage or injuries which will be permanent. It's very extreme amounts of storytelling in it um, and lots of narration. You'll do read through certain parts of the story, get keywords which will allow the story to branch over the course of the campaign and there will also be tactical combat and other kind of elements as well. Um, and, and can you remind me what the, the name of the um, video game that it was kind of inspired by? The original, uh, the designer was originally inspired by a game on the Amiga called The Lost Patrol. Yeah. 
um, which was a um, essentially a, 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 a platoon of Marines had got lost and they need to get back home and that's actually the first mission in our campaign game um, but then we've taken it and we've given it a lot more narrative text around it as well but the Lost Patrol the other two games we brought with us are Rocket Men, which is our um, uh, game about modern day space exploration and modern day space race it's a deck building game where you play the likes of Richard Branson uh, Jeff Bezos and the like uh, and also we bought Nantina Arking which is a Victorian London themed game for two to four players uh, where you're trying to outsmart your opponents and reach your secret victory conditions before your arrivals. Both of those games are by Martin Wallace. And Nantinarking is your way to get the old Discworld and Mortport game, isn't it? It's a reskin of the Discworld game. So Martin Wallace did the Discworld game when Terry Pratchett died. That No one was able to use that Discworld IP anymore. He redid the game as Nantinarking which means having a good time in Victorian rhyming slang and set in um, Victorian London where you play the likes of like Fagan or Shakespeare, uh, not Shakespeare, uh, Sherlock Holmes and um, it's got lots of Victorian theme. Very dry. Right. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, I am Kath Morgan from Honey Badger Games. Uh, we are basically here to promote our products. Uh, we sell the food porn range of edible dice and edible other things as well, such as potions and meeples and Anything geeks like to eat, really. And uh, you also featured in our advent calendar, which I, you can now reveal because you remember what day number one. I certainly was, and I'm really, really excited to have been part of it for two years in a row. That's yeah. wonderful. We've, um, we've had some really nice, uh, excited people opening your stuff online. I don't know if you've seen. I certainly have. I've, I've really, really enjoyed seeing all of the opening videos and, and unboxings. It's, it just makes me so happy. Uh, and uh, where can we find you online? Or outside Dragon Meat. Yep, so honeybadgergames.co.uk, you can buy all of our products online. We are doing a Christmas cracker gift box which is only available online this year. I am Bez and I make stuff so I call my company Stuff by Bez. I've been making games since 2014, I've been designing them for decades now. It's pretty much the passion of my life. My first waking memory is of a spectrum loading screen, my first Kickstarter was just over seven years ago in a bind it's done really well now as yogi and i'm privileged that people are continuing to support me through dl deck through kitty cataclysm and now i'm here with my busy budget bags after obviously a long spell of covid and no one being able to do anything last year i guess i'm here because i just love conventions i think that conventions are just such a fantastic thing to be able to come over and see how people respond to your stuff because ultimately you can't you're never sure is this good is this how good is it until you see people and then they're telling you i played this game with a hundred kids and an assembly and that just blows my mind and then some of the people come and say oh i already know this i want to buy it some of the people are learning it for the first time and some of the people just come over to say hello and all of those things are lovely. It's an opportunity to connect, to meet people. Like, I mean, frankly, having wee chats, and don't get me wrong, the marketing <laughs> and like exposure is a fantastic thing. Um, I've, obvious, I've got pretty much all my games with me. I've got my back catalogue of Yogi and Yogi Guru, which is the expansion for that. I've got the L deck and Kitty Cataclysm which is all about chaos and card play and cap and I've got two new things which I just released this year 
a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises and a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different and watching out for turnips. Uh, just, just for the listeners at home, that's the titles of the games, not, not descriptions of them. Although you might say, you know everything you need to know. Yes, <laughs> you can check it out on Board Game Geek. And what I love is that when I get a notification, everything else just takes one line. So it's like, okay, that's my game because it's three lines for the name. So it's like, hey, I get to see it in. So, so um, uh, a game about quickly grabbing creatures and uh, totally different watching out for turnips is a um, kind of a, an, an unmatching game. Exactly. It's actually started um, in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit. And I was trying to think of some more casual games, something that could go mass market. And I was thinking about the whole genre of cards being flipped, you react to it, and there's a lot of matching, and what about a game where you're avoiding matches? That feels like an obvious twist. I don't know if anyone's done that exactly, but in the first iteration, which I tried just before lockdown happened with friends, it was similar, the maths was there, but the framework of the game wasn't quite there. So, after lockdown maybe a few months ago I brought it out again and it was very much a rush I'm not going to say rush that sounds like I didn't give it enough time but it was very much a speedy development and just trying out four or five different rule sets in one day and saying okay which one of these works well and then someone saying okay that one but have you considered maybe having a little bit extra to this game what if there was something like turnips and then when you flip over a turnip something happens and in my mind i'm just thinking okay what's the natural result of that well turnips are totally different to all the creatures so you could go creature turnip creature well what if there's a limit on how many turnips you have what if you can only grab two turnips well that works fine what if you could and then once it was up to four or five turnips then it became like an extra challenge of keeping count of how many turnips you've picked up and it sounds really simple but having to do two simple things, firstly, are these creatures totally different? And secondly, in your mind, how many turnips have you picked up? You're going to get one or the other wrong sometimes. I made a mistake earlier today, and I could blame it on the fact that it's been a convention, I'm a bit tired, whatever. But that's the way it is. Like Sometimes you play these games after a busy day, and it feels like an adult game, even though it's very joyful and very kid-like. It feels like one that even an adult is going to trip up on, because it pushes you to go as fast as you can. And then at the end of the game, you do pass everything to the person on your left. So you get this ruthless audit to say, how many turrets have gotten? Oh, you got six, that's too many. Oh, oh, you see these two creatures, they both have a tail, that's... And so I'm really proud of how people have been responding. And again, because it's a busy budget bag, the whole idea is that I can sell it for a fiver, and then people are buying extra copies for Christmas presents and stuff. Yeah, really, the, 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 um, the busy budget bag. Yeah, um, there you go. That is, so we, we are literally talking about a, uh, a, like a baggie that you'd get in a normal um, like a board game. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is uh, interesting, isn't it? <laughs> um, that people have reacted so well to because people expect, I think, oh. or you expect people to expect um, like, uh, a, yep. like a box, like now. a, a crappy piece of paper in 15 languages, and all that sort of stuff. So, but now um, what happens is you choose one what? to keep playing with and the others get Was there some fear about trying this out? 
I don't think so. I think that the point of it was that it takes away a lot of the stress. It allows me to experiment and I can print 50 copies of it. Originally, the first one, a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. I think that was... It is a very different game. I don't know many games out there that are about making noises and trying to match them. I think it's pushing new ground. But 50 copies at UK Games Expo was sold out within a day. And I think after the Kickstarter, when I had like 550 copies, I was expecting maybe to sell 100 copies through that. But I'm going to be able to make money on this so much more easily than with a box where I have to print 1,000 copies. This is obviously operating on a much smaller scale, whereas Yogi, they sell like 20,000 like at a time. This is me getting back in touch with the roots and expressing myself. It's like my art, my idea, trying to do it in a way that I think it's good. And you talk about, yes, the rules are done on cards for cheapness. They are... Um, I think we say things like cheapness and then... Well, like, it's passing it on to the consumer. Yeah. I'm passing on all my savings. I'm not... Honestly, like, if I... I, I think it's good. I think it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, as you say, back to the roots, uh, kind of indie. I quite appreciate it, actually. I think, it, I think it's good. Uh, so, uh, what have we got coming next? Well, coming next, I'm going to keep experimenting with more busy budget bags because that just offers me an opportunity for more and more things. I'm hoping to have at least a digital version and there's going to be a game about drawing creatures, complimenting the drawings, then complimenting the compliments. And so it's kind of recursive. So first, everyone shows off these drawings that they've done based on prompts that are on the cards. And then everyone... Once you do your grand reveal, everyone else in the group has to give it compliments. And then at the once everyone's done their grand reveals, everyone going round says, Oh, I just want to appreciate your compliments. Because we don't get enough compliments in real life. And at this point, I think it's just nice to have a game which is just about feeling good and making everyone smile. And every time I playtest it, everyone's smiling by the end. And someone's told me, you know that people have to give you the compliments, you know that they are told to by the rules of the game, but it still feels good to get these compliments. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming here. Hi, uh, I'm Paolo, I run Los Pages, uh, we are a, a fantasy RPG publisher, we mostly focus on uh, occult uh, um, books for fantasy RPGs and uh, we just came out with a Kickstarter for the Book of God. It's a system agnostic, uh, magic and microfiction, creepy horror spell book about these hand that appears in your nightmares and uh, gives you access to, blast mag to black magic and uh, and yeah. Very good, very good. And it's, um, it's sort of a mystery in some ways, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a collection of odd little fragments. Yes, it's a, so every spell has a, has a, has a microfiction attached to it and that is there to set the mood and to uh, give a bit of background on uh, how to use it or maybe like some hints or some just flavor. Can you give us one example of your, your favorite bit? 
Oh, uh, my favorite bit is uh, there's a lot of it. Uh, that is great. Uh, one of my favorite bit yeah. is. Which is the, one one of the ways the spell inverts expectations. Uh, there's a spell called hypochondria. Okay. It's, a, it's a curse. It just gives you hypochondria. Yeah. Um, and uh, essentially, you fill a pouch with rusty nail and something of the victim, and you hide it in their home. And um, if they succumb to the spell, they get cursed with. Um, all the effects of the wounds and you know illness to increase to be increased tenfold and nobody believes them that's the thing that's a curse nobody believes them um, and it's just terrible it's a it's a it's a book filled with black magic Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and, uh, and yourself, good Hi, uh, I'm Eric. Uh, I'm a friend of Paolo's and I'm the author of Macchiato Monsters, the old school black and white RPG we did together maybe five years ago. And now I'm here as the editor-in-chief in of Knock Magazine, which is a bric-a-brac of old school D&D stuff. Um, and that's what I'm trying to uh, share the word about. Well, t t tell us about why why we need knock in the world. We need knock because uh, web pages are becoming very very dusty. Uh, there are pearls of wisdom and great stupid d20 tables of what the goblins left in the basement that have been forgotten. Uh, there are new writers as much as, as well as these old writers that ha who have so much to share. So we just want to put that on paper in a 200 plus page uh, full color magazine that you can put in your shelves and pull out whenever you want to uh, prep a session or just laugh about the goblins. That's great, thank you. So where can we find you both? Oh, on uh, <laughs> I've, I've, just, I've just been handed a, a, a business, a business card. card. Uh, my website is lostpages.co.uk uh, and I'm on Twitter as lostpaolo. Um, on Twitter, I am at surcapitaine. Yeah, it's French. Uh, Sir and Captain, the French, the French spelling. And uh, our website is themerrymushmen.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Okay, let's go. So, um, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, and, uh, <laughs> How did you get in? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello, my name is Grant Howitt. I am a tabletop game designer, and I am one third of Rowan, Rook and Deckard. We are a publishing house operate, operating out of East London and Sheffield. And I'm doing what I'm doing here is I'm selling games uh, and getting to see people in meat in meat space and refuse my first handshake. I've never refused a handshake, and I got to go. No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Very good. So, um, uh, so your flagship game right now yes. is Hearts, mm -hmm. uh, City Beneath, I think. The City Beneath. What's it beneath? Uh, it's Beneath Spire, our previous game. <laughs> so Spire was The City Must Fall, uh, which was about overthrowing a, uh, overthrowing a uh, I was about to say corrupt government, but just an evil government. Yeah. Um, you play Dark Elf, basically freedom fighter terrorists. And uh, Heart is uh, it's kind of a sister game to that, so it's set underneath the city of Spire. There's this roiling tear in reality called the Heart, and you play the doomed lunatics who go in there. And uh, we, what we wanted to do is explore the idea of dungeon crawling and delving as something which isn't like normal, sensible people don't do it. And so we wanted everyone to be like absolutely tragic and absolutely going to die. 
and so it is very focused around um, well for example there are 21 no, sorry 27 high level abilities in the game and 26 of them kill you permanently when you use them wow I didn't know yeah. that it's fun it's really good I really like death moves I think they're, I think they're great uh, and and when you when you kill a player character, you can afford to get really loosey goosey with the rules because you don't have to balance it afterwards. Yeah. It's pretty swish. Yeah. That's what heart is. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've, I've been slowly working through heart, mm. um, nibbling at it when I get five minutes. Okay. Um, but, um, so I've not got to that bit yet. Uh, I'm suddenly <laughs> uh, like, uh, 100% more interested. Good. Uh, because uh, player death is maybe my favourite oh, me great. mechanic. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's nice, isn't it? It's lovely. <laughs> So, so why did you make that? Because there'll, people, there'll be people who just say, that sounds bad, don't want that. And is it a brave decision to have made that choice to have a player death mechanic like that? Um, is it a brave decision? I, I think that role-playing games are primarily about combat, and especially dungeon delving games are about combat, and often quite lethal combat. And death itself in your standard sort of traditional Dungeons and Dragons, we have that as the baseline, it's rather unexciting. It's possible to reverse it, which is quite boring, and it's it's three uh, D20s, and you've got basically toss a coin three times, and if you do wrong, you're dead. And I don't care about that. It isn't very exciting, and it should be this massive, exciting, big thing that happens. The same thing with hit points. Every injury is the same, and in heart, Every injury is bespoke and hideous, and it's possible to do things like you can injure. Uh, the, the, the way the system works, we have the same rules for hit points as we do for running out of rope or torches or having the town turn against you and chase you out or um, popping from too much energy, like bursting like a ripe grape. And I don't think it's a brave decision because I've been writing games about death for a very, very long time, and this is kind of the zenith of that. Um, the very first, uh, I, I got my start in games doing uh, doing LARPs, so I got my start. We did. I don't think we ever really broke even or anything. It's, it's not like I got my chops on there. But um, for the first thing I did is with uh, with the other members of Rowan, Rick and Decker, we ran a game called Zombie LARP, and it was a it was a LARP, and the, the character, this average character survival time was seven minutes. And everything was geared around having a really brilliant death. Yeah. And it's something, um, as a, uh, this is perhaps a bit heavy, I suffer from depression. I suffer from, from suicidal impulses and thoughts. And this is quite a cathartic way of me talking through that and me getting able, me exploring the idea of like, well, what if it, what if it could matter? And how can I go through and give other people the keys to play with life and death. I think it's something that's very important that unites all of us. I think that it is given, it's such a big deal in a TV show, but it can just happen if you roll the wrong number on a dice. And I, th I want it to be, I want it to be important. Uh, that's an extremely good answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, so can we talk about what's coming next? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we, uh, we've just, <clears throat> I've, I've just finished writing four source books for Spire. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for Sin last year, oh, no, it was earlier this year, um, which was really good. Uh, so Sin is a, it deals with religion and, um, sorry, I should explain what Spire is first. Spire is a game, as I mentioned earlier, about overthrowing the government. You play Dark Elves, trying to dethrone High Elves. Uh, we've had one source book uh, called Strata, which focuses on high and low society. On this one, we're focusing on religion and the, the state power and crime. 
So we're going into all the different districts, we're fleshing out things, we've got in some brilliant writers to do some incredible work. Cat uh, Evans, for example, who's got a table over there, did, uh, did, uh, did the state religion, which is lovely, and like... Um, what, what is the state religion? This is, uh, the, yeah. the, the state religion is sun worship, and all drow uh, have fatal sunburn. So there's kind of there's kind of a fun sort of yeah. trick around that. Um, so we got the, we, we got we got that, that coming out soon. It's unfortunately ships uh, film has been delayed on account of you know the everything and the fact that we, the fact that the world ran out of paper apparently. Yes, uh, which is fun. I, yeah, which must. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's come up in your publication once or twice. The, um, so we've got that coming out. We have uh, four source books attached to that, which are we've got like a, an in-character revolutionary zine published by a rich idiot. We've got a um, we've got the Magister's Guide, which is sort of additional rules and it's like one of the things which we wrote about Inspire was a little box out, which is if if one of your character if one of your players is playing this character, here's the sort of thing they might want and just sort of little prompts. I was like, why not turn that into half a book? So there's bespoke fallout, uh, there's bespoke equipment, there's, there's enemies for every character class we've got in there. We have the conspiracy kit, which is, you know how, you know jam screens? Yeah. You know how they come with a little booklet? And sometimes, yeah. so, sometimes you get like, you might get an adventure or something in there. Well, I don't like jam screens, but I do like little booklets. And so, and so we, we promised a jam screen and I was like, fuck it, we're doing a 70 page book. Which is about, um, it, it is, lets you build your own bespoke conspiracy for players to inveigle and infiltrate. And it's got, got NPCR and, and it turns out a really nice GM screen. Uh, and a fourth book. The Quick Start. There's a Quick Start, but that's just like Spy, but slightly less than free. <laughs> hey, we like a Quick Start. We like a Quick Start. Quick Starts are good. Yeah. I, uh, it's always a challenge doing Quick Starts as well, because people... I think that there is a lot to be said for taking a game as it's as it's presented in yeah. the um, in its in its fullness, yeah. and it's a bit like uh, getting a quick start. It's like getting takeaway from a from a fancy restaurant, yeah. in that you're not going to get the ambience, you're not going to have everything presented. It's food's not going to be the right temperature, yeah. uh, the music isn't playing, the waiter doesn't come over and pick up your knife when you drop it, that sort of thing. Uh, so. It's been it's been interesting to do quick starts, but we've we've taken it, we've refined the rules bit up. So it's like so we've got nice diagrams. We've got a really fun scenario which involves a fake bishop. It's really good. Uh, so yes, that is what's coming next from us. Yeah. Hopefully next year. That's, that's fabulous. Um, Definitely next year. We've got a year to do it. Um, so uh, on quick starts, because yeah. you are the second person today to tell me that. Quick starts, got to be careful. Absolutely. Uh, because it can be uh, the worst way to introduce someone to a game. Um, so, I think they're brilliant. Because yeah. I, I, I think, um, until very recently, although I, I, I now realise that uh, I missed out a lot of Call of Cthulhu joy, I've been playing Call of Cthulhu scenarios with my friends, um, uh, just from the quick start rules, just from the quick start character creation, all that stuff. We'll get you there, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you open, you crack open the, the book, and you're like, man, I've missed out on a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know. Operate heavy machinery? <laughs> I, I can take levels in that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it's just. Should, should, we, should we stop doing quick starts? No. Okay. I don't think we should stop doing quick starts. I think that they. Like, this is the thing, a role playing game is a, is a huge barrier to entry. Because not only do you need to read a whole book, then you need to 
partially memorize some of it, and then recreate some of it, and then convince six other equally strange people to come and pretend to be an elf in your house every week forever. Most campaigns aren't like, oh, it's going to be 12 games, it's going to be six games. It's like, no, just, just until we get bored of pretending to be these elves. And so quick starts are really good because they let you have a, effectively as a loss leader, you can say, right, here is the rough idea of the thing. It is, we'll mark it down, we'll give you everything you need. It's really good as well to hand out to players if they've got like a sort of pricey of the rules in there. Um, but I remember um, back playing uh, free RPG, sorry, playing. Uh, free RPG day back when what, what, is, what is called New World of Darkness, but is over a decade old now, as Old Ward, New Ward, and Chronicles. Um, New Ward had come out, and there was a uh, they did they did little um, like tiny little pamphlet uh, like like, uh, like like wee booklets for each one of their supernatural games. And the Mage book is like the Mage setting in New Ward is fascinating. It's this wonderful sort of global um, paranormal interdimensional struggle for awakening and there's all these cool spells and all these different factions and everything's really interesting the quick start is like right you're a dude you're a wizard you like death here are three spells you can't cast yet go bother someone in a room and I, I want that lore I want that heaviness I want that bigness and so you have to be quite careful about what you're presenting um from a marketing point of view, you have to try and give people enough that, like, oh, I like this, I want more. Yeah. And that is quite tricky to pull off. Yeah. Um, but some people have done it, some people haven't. And I hope, I hope we're going to be one of the people who have. Yeah, no, I think, well, no, I imagine we'll be. Um, so, you make quite, quite good looking books. We do make good looking books. Um, but you are, I think you're still indie, aren't you? We'd, we'd call you indie. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we we make and publish our own stuff. Yeah. So we're we're indie, but we're successful. I think yeah. that's probably the way you could put it. I was, I, I was just thinking, like, because there, there's that thing there of um, uh, the quick start. If the quick start works, why isn't that the whole game? Mm. Like, there's like that question, isn't there? Like, why not? Why not have a pamphlet? You know. And and like and some people do. Yeah. Um, and I think like um, Chris McDowell, who you chatted about yeah. earlier, Into the Odd is amazing. Yeah. And um, the game uh, Silent Titans, mm. which was uh, Patrick Stewart wrote that. The rules are the rules for Into the Odd are, are on a bookmark, which yeah. comes in the game, and everything else is just setting. Yeah. And like. <laughs> You can do that. You can boil down games to a single page, and we do. Yeah. We have a. Sh we have. Um, I'm, I think I'm up to like 65 one-page games now, um, and so that is definitely one way in which you can you can tell stories, and you can just give people the keys and go right, make up your own stuff, have fun with it. And that, and then there is the other side of things where we're able to have right. Here's this world. Go explore it. Go mess around. Um, here are the mechanics which push you in a certain way, and you need a bit more than a pamphlet to do that quite often. So, finally, mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about um, uh, something I mentioned right at the beginning of this, which okay. is uh, a one-page RPG yeah. that you made okay. called um, Jason Statham's um, Big Vacation, big vacation mm -hmm. which I keep calling the sexy vacation. Mm -hmm. Not correct. Not correct at all. Too many syllables. doesn't scan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also just a bit weird as well. Well, it doesn't I mean, have to be yeah. sexy vacation. Well, I suppose... He's, he's, he's not a bad-looking guy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little sort of packet of muscle. <laughs> so... Um, well, let's talk about one-page RPGs. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, were you doing them at an alarming regularity at one point? Yes, uh, you, I'm still. Are you still doing them at one month? 
One a month. One a month, every month for uh, five years now, I think. Yeah. So, we, so, so when I say I've done 65, that's been one a month. Yeah. Uh, I've recently started collaborating with other writers. Yeah. So I've had collaborations with uh, Chloe Mascheter, with uh, Daniel Mallory, who doesn't write role-playing games, but, it's, but I, uh, he he does uh, he does like incredible cultural commentary and like literary jokes. I believe he's one of this. He, he, I believe he's one of this generation's greatest writers, and he got to write a stupid role-playing game about a uh, comedia dell'arte heist with him. Uh, with Chris McDowell, we did a game about turning into a robot when you don't want to turn into a robot. Uh, I've done uh, with Sasha Sienna, who's part of MacGuffin. Uh, I've got ones coming up with Jian uh, uh, Sheng. I've got um, Jay Dragon as well. So like a lot of really exciting collaborations, and it's been lovely to have the capacity to go, I've got a third of an idea, what have you got? And they're like, <laughs> i got a third of an idea. And then we just sort of like, and the game comes out. And, he, and I end up going in directions I wouldn't have gone, and that's really lovely. But yes, we've put out one a month. Um, and I, I joke and say that I ran out of ideas about four months in. And that's not strictly true, but it's not strictly false. <laughs> well, um, well, thank you for talking to me today. Um, thank you for having where me. Where can people find you? You can find me at rrdgames.com. That is, that is the much more typable version of rowanrookanddeckard.com. Um, we have uh, we have all of our free games on there, all of our paid games on there as well. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out once a month, if I remember, and it always has at least one game in it, and two if I forgot. Um, you can you can also follow me on Twitter. Like the best thing to do if you want to if you want to keep up with what we're doing is follow me on Twitter at gshowitt. That's G S H O W I T T, um, and you can see pictures of models I've built and previews. For all, of, of upcoming work, which I post so people will say nice things to me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So, uh, my name is Barney. I'm one of uh, the few people at Parable Games that have got Shiver, uh, the role playing game. So, Shiver is a project that we cooked up over the lockdown period, sort of our pet project that's finally made it into fruition. Uh, a game to tell your favourite sort of horror film stories, try and make better decisions than the people in the movies, ultimately fail, but have a great time doing it. Um, really excited to be a Dragon Meat and sort of bring it with us and show people all the all the work that we've done, which is real fun. Yeah. So what, what sort of tropes are we, uh, we approaching? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely everything. So it's, it's completely setting neutral because we wanted people to, whatever their favourite sort of B-movie is, we wanted them to be able to play it. So you can play anything from Scooby-Doo to Saw um, with the system. Uh, some of our favourites are in there, so if you like things like John Carpenter's The King, or uh, The Thing, or Alien, or Kids on Bikes, that kind of stuff, It'll, big Stranger Things references in some of the some of the stories, um, the, the, yeah, a bit of everything really, it's a real real mixing pot. Excellent. Uh, and so, um, where can people find you online? So, uh, you can find us on Twitter at GamesParable or at ShiverRPG.com, and we've got a Kickstarter coming early next year as well. Oh, what's that Kickstarter? It's Shiver Gothic, so it's the first expansion for the game. Uh, we're diving into all things gothic horror, vampires, werewolves, organ music, and cathedrals. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, so, Chris, how are you? I'm very good. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself to those listening on the podcast? Okay, uh, well, my, my name is Chris Birch. Uh, and along with Rita Birch, my wife, uh, we're the co-founders of Midifius Entertainment. We started it ten years ago. Yeah. 
Is that all? Sorry? Is that all? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's gone very fast. Because you're sort of, it's, uh, Modifus is very, like, um, like a pillar of uh, the gaming community right now, isn't it? Is he, would you, I think it's fair I to guess, say. maybe, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're talking, I've been talking to lots of pillars, pillars of the community. I spoke to um, uh, Dominic Medow um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier. And, um, he's lovely. He is, he's a very, very lovely man. Yes. Very lovely yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but everyone is here. So yeah, <laughs> no, it's a wonderful community. <laughs> yeah. uh, Especially so, in England. It's very, yeah. ever so friendly. Yeah. It's, um, but no, it's been, it's been very good. So yes, um, so you have announced some new stuff that's coming. Yeah. Um, would you, would you like to tell the readers about it? I mean, usually what I do with these things is I, I go up to people and I say, um, who are you, what the hell are you doing here, and what have you brought with you? Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, don't, I feel I almost can't do that to you, because your list is quite long. It is uh, quite so, a big list. We've got too many games, I think. So maybe we'll just do, what, what's the coolest thing you're, um, you're shouting about today? Well, for me, probably Acton Cthulhu, the new yeah. 2D20 edition, because that's where we started. Yeah. It's, and it's our, our universe, yeah. so we, we sell lots of other very cool universes like Fallout and Dune and Star Trek and uh, Elder Scrolls and I could go on. But um, Acton Cthulhu is, you know, our baby. That was the first game that's what launched the company and to finally have our own edition, you know, our own core cool rule book and uh, all beautiful new artwork for, uh, for 2D20. It's really amazing to see like a the, the circle is complete. Yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I yeah. can I can retire now. That's, that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> You've com- you completed running an RPG company. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I've leveled up. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's been really good. Um, I mean, but also the Skyrim board game. Yeah. I've been living and breathing for the last month, uh, yeah. doing about three interviews and yeah. and playthroughs a day, which is quite exhausting. But every time it's different because yeah. the game is so wildly you know uh, I mean we, I suppose we innovative. should I guess we have to tell people about that of course uh, yes. so what God, I have to do these stupid questions what is it <laughs> uh, so it's an adventure board game so you're moving around a big map of Skyrim you're leveling up your character you, you're doing quests uh, you're getting cool gear going into dungeons facing different rooms of you know, dungeon creatures it's not a dungeon crawl each, each room is like a card an enemy that you face or a trap that you have to deal with or maybe a, a puzzle and um, you get that you, you kill them all get their treasure get some, some components and start upgrading and enchanting your gear and what, but what's really interesting is there's this very deep narrative mechanics uh, so it's a, a big kind of resettable legacy game Nice. Two big campaigns. First campaign, 25 years before the events of the video game. The second campaign, during the time of the Dragon Ball and the Stormcloak Rebellion. Uh, there's three chapters in each campaign. Each, the, cha- the decisions you make in each chapter, in which decision you make with the quest, will affect the end game, will affect whether people live or die in the game. Um, failures lead to people dying, who are potentially very useful for you later in the game. So it's a, the game learns from your decisions and other players' uh, futures are affected by your decisions as well. If you make a choice, it can affect another player's choice. So, okay, uh, can you give us an example of that? Because that, that's... Um, so, uh, it's not because, wh- because we're talking about a board game. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as hard as you think. So, for example, we have um, some starting quests. Like, we have uh, four starting stories. Two of them uh, share... Uh, where's two pairs of the of the same um, uh, where you can make the same choices, yeah. and but so if I pick, uh, I get two choices to make. If I pick choice that leads me to card one seven seven, 
and you have a card which also has that choice on it, you can't get 177, so you get 176, which is a different storyline, which neither of us could have got without me, one of us picking the first one. So, okay, so yeah. by us, me making a choice, it's opened up a new story. That's not yeah. worse for but you, but, but it's by, just different. But, but by subtraction, it's like by, by removing the card that you've got. Yeah. That, so that's how yeah. you actually And a lot choice. of games like this yeah, use yeah, big yeah, books yeah. of storyline. Uh-huh. So, by, by using cards, we're able to yeah. um, force changes in the narrative yeah. that yeah. wouldn't happen if you had a book without yeah. draw, crossing out entries. Yeah, would be a bit, a bit annoying. <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> And so cards get removed from the yeah. deck and cards get added to the game. For we have this like massive numbered deck of about 400 plus cards in the base game, another couple of hundred in the uh, Dawnguard expansion. So cards get brought into the game, but into the various decks. So you, you might add cards to the dungeon deck, you might add cards to the treasure deck or um, the various other decks. So the, the game's content starts growing based yeah. on your decisions. Yeah, that's really interesting because that sort of. Um that's it, because I didn't expect to have this conversation actually, because this is the legacy conversation, yeah. really, yeah. which is, I think, um, was solved last year, we thought, by uh, Oath, oh, yeah. um, more or less, because that, that, that's a uh, legacy game that we don't rip anything up, and you've also done the same thing here. Yeah, so you can, you can totally reset it at yeah. the end. So you get to the end, you put all the numbered, well, all the cards back in the decks, yeah. and then start again, and then pick one of the other choices at the beginning. Yeah. And then maybe play an Altmer instead of a yeah. Nord. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and then, there is an end, isn't there? It's still uh, a, it's there, is, a, there is an end to the yeah. story, yes. Yeah. But um, every the, chap- the ending of many of the chapters mm. can change yeah. depending on your choices. So you, I might pick Stormcloaks mm. or Imperials yeah. in the um, Stormcloak Rebellion. Yeah. That affects the end game. In Dawnguard, some of us might become vampires. Some of us might become Dawnguard. You still have to work together to defeat the big enemy, but yeah. we're also supporting these factions yeah. fighting each other. And so the, the whole kind of the world of, of Skyrim changes based on your decisions, mm. but you're still working towards this big, um, big plot ending. But then we go, go and, but none of those endings are like so secret mm. that it's boring to play again. Yeah. When you reset, you want to see all the different choices. And I explain it like climbing up a pyramid. Mm. There's four sides we can climb up. Yeah. And when you climb up a pyramid, do you want to start at the left end, the right end, in the middle? Do you want to go left? Do you want to go right? We're still getting to the top. Yeah. Um, so all our ch- but our, our choices are branching and branching and branching until we get to the top, and so there's so much potential to replay it and replay it and replay it and replay it. Yeah, excellent. Um, that sounds really good. And the, okay, so then this joins us back onto the other Skyrim project, which I was just saying off mic. Um, oh yeah. I, I hadn't understood the scale that the um, uh, the Skyrim miniatures game oh, yes. was going to get to. Oh yes. Because uh, you, you showed me a couple big. of slides that there's some yeah. new stuff coming. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about what's coming? Yeah. So we've got uh, the Dawnguard coming. Yeah. So uh, really cool um, yeah. Dawnguard armor. You've got vampires coming. Um, so you've got two new factions. Yeah. Uh, so that uh, and you can play vampire characters. Yeah. Uh, you've also got the big the big demon lord, uh, vampire lord, yeah. uh, in his you know form. Uh, you've got um, uh, new adventurers, um, so it's like a whole storyline that progresses, and there's going to be a you know a whole storyline with the you know Dawn Garden vampires and lots of new gear yep. related to them as well. Yep. So it's uh, yeah, and that's I mean we we have like a new chapter maybe probably about twice a year with lots of new expansions yep. over several months. It's it's one of those things where I I sort of felt like it was. 
um, the game was quite complete when it was released in lots of ways because yeah. of because of the systems it offered the players. It offered the players like this sort of uh, which we've briefly spoken about before. This like idea of like narrative wargaming yeah. type adventure sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's more um, about kind of dungeon crawling or going up against AI enemies. Yeah, I mean every every faction in the game can be played as an AI enemy. Yeah, which is great. So you can play against anyone you want. Yeah, which is it's just interesting space because we, we we talked about this this thing of um, uh, well you you said to me would it be more fun to lose yeah and that being, yeah. that being a, a, a interest like a better almost better play experience yeah yeah uh, I mean I'm you, you won't see some I mean that's Elder Scrolls is a I think all the games we're doing all the miniature games we're doing are different facets of our research into yeah. that. That's big concepts feel, yeah. of and the new games have got a big new IP we're launching which is a prequel to Acting Cthulhu uh-huh. that's going to have a war game element and that will have a lot of this there's another game we've got coming and so I'm kind of diving deeper into this rabbit hole of uh, the challenge of making a game so much fun to lose yeah. why would you want to win why would you want to finish the um, uh, to, to go for the objectives if yeah. And that, that's the interesting thing, that the challenge, and it, I, don't, I don't pretend to have the answer yet, because no. there's all this little like, interesting kind of mechanics and how you bring out a story in a war game such that, um, of, course, if, of course it's great fun rolling dice and yeah. killing the enemies, but over there, if I go over there to the other side of the board, there's mm. a thing, and if I, if I find that thing, I'm going to discover who my family were. And if I discover who my family were, that unlocks a new unit that yeah. I get for my army. Or, you know, it's like this whole idea that, um, of course, the, the narrative unlocks more fun stuff for the yeah, war game, but the narrative, in, in, its set, in a sense, yeah. is going to be part of the reward. So it's so. almost, can I make a compelling enough narrative to um, almost distract from the like mechanical... Um, Drive yeah. that you, you kind of put because obviously every game you kind of put an equation in front of people and yeah. a lot of people sit there and just say the most work out the most efficient way to get from the, the beginning to the end. I, and I want to, in a way, confuse them to go. Yeah. Well, I could. I mean, so the people who just want to fight a battle can. Yeah. But the people who are like, well, that could be more interesting because I'm playing the long game. I want to play the story game. Think about it as like um, you know every movie that's a kind of, you know, the, the rebel movie is the rebel has to travel around, find the various new friends yeah. that join up with him and then they gain the help of the elves and then they gain the help of the dwarves yeah. and then finally they have this big battle at the end. And actually the big battle at the end yeah. is a distraction really, it's just the end of the movie, it's the big kind of finale, but actually what the real, the yeah. enjoyable bit is seeing, does he convince the elves to join them? Does he convince the, el- the, the dwarves to join them? Does he get the kind of cool sword that's critical to the final battle and it's all that that I love that that's what I want to get out of a war game is like how do we how do we get that sort of sense of building your story as a force you know whether it's a general with a huge army or as a plucky little hero who's gradually building a band of, of companions to, to go on a, on a fight and the adventures they have along their way and, it, and it, it's almost starting as a role-playing game and ending us up as a epic Warhammer, you know, yes. host battle, you know, with hundreds of figures. So yeah. that's the, the, the story I want to tell with war games is, is such that I can play on my own and have way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I can play with you yeah. 
and we're not fighting each other. So, you know, classic war game, you know, the joke is two, two people play a war game, one walks away happy. Yes. <laughs> and, and it's that, you know, and lots of people can be uh, okay about playing a war game together. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot. I don't care if I lose. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, for a lot of people, it's not fun to lose and you just painted yeah. all those figures and you were really hoping to get a win, especially with tournaments. Yeah. My challenge to our, our team is uh, for retailers, let's make a, a, a to in tournament event for yeah. a store so much fun to be a co-op event. Mm. Okay. And not because I want 50 people to go into a shop and play a tournament where every single person wins. Yeah. And they all walk away going, oh my God, that was amazing. Uh, so we're doing, so it's Lord of the Rings, yeah. but you've got, the ring has to go to Mordor, but there's actually 50 hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all on the, we're all on the journey. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all sorts of things like maybe you'll get to see this hidden part of the new campaign story we're launching and you'll get this cool thing on the day. The other cool thing about when you're playing co-op games together, yeah. everyone helps each other. Yes. So you don't need so many people showing you how to play the rules because the co-op players will help each other with the rules. And we're going to have awards for the person who's most helpful on the day. You're going to be discovering there'll be hidden em secret envelopes that you open on the day. So all sorts of like hidden stuff. So that's what we're kind of exploring, this sort of idea. That again, it's like I love, you know, I come from the doing rave parties where we didn't want to charge too much money and everyone you know the people queuing outside the club were as important as the doorman mm. everyone had you know we would you know we used to you know because the classic thing is that you if you walk into a club and you have a you know the doorman's an <laughs> asshole to yeah. you you have a terrible night you know it's that you, you want you know you've got to make sure everyone feels you know everyone's equal right mm. those guys walking off the street are paying your wages yeah. you know so we're come to that quite socialist sort of like clubbing yeah. background yeah. and for us you know for me it's like I want gamers to feel like you know there isn't going to be one winner today who walks away with a big cheesy grin and you know you know he's been playing it for a zillion hours like yeah. it, all of us walk away as winners you know yeah. and it's um, I, I love that idea that why can't you have everyone as a winner you know yeah. uh, I really like that I really like that um, so to pivot wildly from that though, yeah um, Solo gaming. You mentioned you mentioned solo gaming. Yes. Um, obviously, it's been a thing recently for some reason. Um, yeah. Uh, why do you think? Not why do you think it has been a big thing, but um, I think it's here to stay, right? I mean, it was getting big. I mean, there was yeah. the solo war gaming group, for example, on um, Facebook has been growing and growing and growing. Uh, I mean, of course, COVID kicked it off big time. Yeah. But there was definitely a move towards solo war games. I mean, we launched Fallout as a solo war game. Uh, uh, Call to Arms for Elder Scrolls was designed as a versus game with AI and a solo or co-op game. I mean, that's from my upbringing growing up uh, without a war gaming group in my town. So I had to invent my own rules yeah. to play solo. And that's where a lot of my narrative ideas started. Like, I hate balanced war games. <laughs> like, well, I mean, if, the classic, if you go into classic wargaming, like historical wargames, mm. who are reenacting like the Battle of Waterloo, yeah. a lot of those battles weren't, weren't no. balanced. No. They were very sided towards one enemy or another. And no general, you know, most, most commanders won't fight a battle unless they've got three to one odds. Yeah. Like, normal battles are not balanced. Yeah. So I love unbalanced battles. I would love to be the guy who's, who's outnumbered. Mm to see what I, whether I can yeah, yeah. turn the tide. Like, that's much more of a challenge to me as a gamer. 
and I think um, uh, yeah, it's a one game. I, I remember designing a game for um, Alien Legion, this yeah. old comic book series. Yeah, okay. And you know, I I would have this random unit draw to see what I you know I had this whole narrative structure I'd set up. What am I up against? And I'd have like you know half dozen of the characters from the comic books. Oh, I'm up against two tanks yeah. and like three <laughs> armored guys. This is good. And then so okay, really, it's about escaping. Then this is not about. Or, yes, you know, it, yeah. So I had to change the story, you know, and you, yeah. you cope with what you get. I don't know. What about, what about that? Sorry, I know, I know we're not doing a brainstorming session. Yeah. But, um, but the uh, a war game where um, people turn up with their randomised army in some way, and then you decide what your objectives are after you arrive. Yeah, I think, I think absolutely. That's, I think it should be, really yeah. Funny idea. Or, or you don't know what you're fighting until you... Uh, yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, of course, blind tournaments are. You don't know what the yeah. enemy is going to be bringing. But I, I want a tournament where it's, you know, or an event where you know we get together yeah. I, I'm bringing some Stormcloaks you're bringing some adventurers yeah. oh crap we're up against like a massive Centurion army <laughs> and it's like five times as big yeah. how are we going to do it yeah. like there's all sorts of, well, there's yeah. all sorts of clever ways yeah. we can deal with that yeah. and, and maybe we've just got to escape yeah. maybe, maybe actually winning is just getting off with That's half it. enough of our forces left yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, all sorts of fun you can have with it. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I um, I've recently, it's recently come to my mind that um, the first like 20 minutes of any game that you actually sit down and play is everyone around the table looking for the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean they're like looking for the game in on the board, yeah. or wherever it is, and they're trying to work out where the actual the, the actual game is. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't exist in the parts. It exists in the, the bit in your head. Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of like a really nice example of that yeah you know. I mean there's a lot of um, I mean anyone who just lines up a bunch of soldiers n- n- you, of course you, there's a story in your head yeah. playing out and like you know the last guy le- the last few guys left in a unit yeah. that's the last stand and it's yeah, like yeah. come on can I roll the dice but I, I like introducing the narrative yeah. layer of mechanics that and not in a complex way but that rewards you for following a storyline um, but yeah, I just think there's so much more you can do with it. Uh, uh, and I mean, it's, it's exciting to be at this stage where loads of companies, uh, and I hope we're, we're, we're banging on about it so much that other people might go, oh, that's a really good idea, I'm going to do that too. And, you know, we publish five parsecs from home, which is Ivan Sorensen's, uh, you know, little procedurally generating uh, yeah. campaign game. Obviously, um, uh, Joseph McCulloch's Range of the Shadow Deep. We've got Five Leagues from the Borderlands coming, which is the fantasy version. Uh, Battle Space, which is modern day, yeah. you know, takes some SAS into, you know, against some, you know, uh, militia or, you know, Spetsnaz and yeah, all hell breaks loose. It's great fun. Okay. Um, so, I suppose we ought to mention where we are. Yeah. Because this is kind of your show. Uh, well, it's um, me and a uh, lovely man called uh, John Dodd, yeah. uh, co- we co own Dragon Meat and he has done all the work for this show because I've been so tied up with um, Skyrim yeah. uh, so uh, absolutely all credit goes to him he's done an incredible job of pulling the show together which uh, also has been hard with um, uh, you know it's the first one of the first major shows yeah. since lockdown has kind of come to an end we've had a great turnout it's really busy yeah it was more stands than we've ever had yeah. so more traders and it is a great show for I mean you get so many indies here like that you would never see probably online unless someone pointed you out but amazing little scenery you know people doing scenery dice trays yeah. di- crazy unique weird dice hey, I just love indie I, RPGs I love 
you know, show me a small pamphlet of um, uh, random tables to roll. I'm in. Yes. So, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in my. Yes, yeah, so it's here, best. You know? <laughs> best, and it's such a friendly uh, audience as yeah, well. So it's yeah. really good. Uh, everyone's been uh, super lovely. So yeah. Um, well, uh, is there anything else we need to plug? Um. What else is coming? Well, uh, lots of new acting Cthulhu books coming oh, yeah. in the new year. Homeworld a, RPG coming in the year. a review of uh, the Acton Cthulhu core book. Oh, great. Coming oh, fantastic. Well. Okay, cool. Um, uh, awesome. I think in the next issue, ah, if great. I remember correctly. I am quite excited. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, same here. Uh, I mean, yes, we have so much stuff coming that, uh, like I said, our big IP launch is going to be in the spring, which <laughs> is very exciting. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, we're going back in time. In, in the uh, in the universe uh, where acting Cthulhu is, um, and we've got another one that's forward in time, a futuristic yep. one that's coming as well, uh, and then we've got another totally different IP, not the same universe, um, big futuristic one that's coming in 23, yep. and we're going to start teasing it and uh, play testing it next year. Pretty good. So. Okay, well, um, that's it, Chris. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. you out but amazing little scenery you know people doing scenery dice trays yeah. dark w crazy unique weird dice hey, i just love indie I, rpgs i love you know show me a small pamphlet of um uh, random tables to roll I'm yes in, so, yeah. You know, like, yeah 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in my yeah, so it's here, best you know? <laughs> best and it's such a friendly uh, audience as yeah, well so it's yeah. really good uh, everyone's been uh, super lovely so yeah um well uh is there anything else we need to plug um what else is coming? Well, uh, lots of new acting Cthulhu books coming oh, yeah. in the new year. Homeworld a, RPG coming in the year. a review of uh, the Acton Cthulhu core book. Oh, great. Coming oh, fantastic. Well. Okay, cool. Um, uh, awesome. I think in the next issue, ah, if great. I remember correctly. I'm quite awesome. tired. Okay. <laughs> no, same here. Uh, I mean, yes, we have so much stuff coming that, uh, like I said, our big IP launch is going to be in the spring, which is very exciting. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, we're going back in time. In, in the uh, in the universe uh, where acting Cthulhu is, um, and we've got another one that's forward in time, a futuristic yep. one that's coming as well, uh, and then we've got another totally different IP, not the same universe, um, 
big futuristic one that's coming in 23. Yep. And we're going to start teasing it and uh, play testing it next year. Very good. So. Okay, well, um, that's it. Chris, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Hello and welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggett and I have just finished editing together all of the uh, mini-interviews that I conducted at Dragon Me this year. Uh, the show was um, uh, really busy, um, so there's a bit of um, background noise and stuff like that. Uh, the show's still going on today, so if you're in London or uh, heading into London and you fancy popping in to um, pick up uh, some of the... Um, some, some really nice stuff <laughs> um, and some, there's some quite good deals going on as well or just play some new games it's worth dropping by it's at uh, the Hammersmith Novotel um, so it's quite quite handy to get to um, and that's it so uh, we're just going to dive straight into the uh, interviews now enjoy I'm Sam Webb uh, I'm one part of Black Cats Gaming uh, and also head of product over at Modifius Entertainment uh, this weekend at Dragon Meet I'm trading with Black Cats Gaming um, and we are actually selling the first game that we made via our first Kickstarter, The Spy Game. It's been very good so far, I'm yeah. very happy with it. Uh, the Spy Game is a uh, high-level high um, uh, caper simulator. Basically, uh, yeah. Anyway. yeah. Yeah, It's a 5e-powered game of international espionage and action. And you can tell I've said that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, so, so t- tell us, um, how, how, how do you become a good spy in this? You level up. <laughs> like, like all good D&D games, you level up. Um, you go on missions, you do well. You don't have to do well, to be no. fair. Um, but yeah, you, you level up. Um, uh, you can gain uh, you know, more class features. You can then span off into different subclasses. And you can multi-class. So once you reach level 20 and you're actually James Bond, you can be a bit of a fighter, a bit of a face, and probably a bit of a technician as well, because he utilizes the gadgets and stuff, doesn't he? That's cool. Uh, how, much, how much is the game, and, and, and where, what stand can they find you on? Oh my god, I don't know where we are, but if people <laughs> walk straight in the door, they see us because of our big banner. Um, 
Uh, but you can get the uh, core game with us, the core rulebook, for £30. That's uh, a special price for the, on the stand today. Uh, you can get a few, there's a few left of our like, uh, Kickstarter exclusive version with a nice leatherette cover uh, for 60 Yeah, I got it right. Uh, and then we've got the Game Master screen as well for £20. We've got the, our little dice sets for 10 So we've got a little custom polyhedral dice set. And we've got a couple of our mission books as well, Fuelish Endeavor and Deadly Data to get you started if you don't know kind of what missions to run to, you know, and you're a GM. Uh, and they're five pounds each. Wow. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, hi, so um, I'm Aled um, uh, from Leyline Press. We're here at Dragon Meat um, promoting our current Kickstarter, Salvage Union. It's a post-apocalyptic mech game based on the Quest engine. And um, I suppose the core thing about it is we've tried to make a mech RPG that um, uh, feels a bit less like tactical combat and um, uh, a bit more sort of uh, freeform. So it's a bit more narrative focused. Um, but we've tried to keep some of that mech crunch in. We've just moved it to the downtime. So we can still build our mechs. We can still salvage for gear and then use those parts to make new systems and modules and upgrade them and all of that good stuff. But it doesn't get in the way of playing the game, um, I suppose, is what we're trying to do. So. Um, uh, we're down here at Dragon Meat, obviously, yeah, promoting that. We have printed versions of our beta quick starts, which we're doing as a con exclusive. Uh, so uh, if you are down here, then by all means, uh, come, and, come and have a look. Uh, but the free quick start is available on the Kickstarter page as well. So. Very good. And, um, you funded already, anyway. Oh, we have, yeah. I mean, we funded in seven hours. So it's, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. We're, we're just unlocking the stretch goals now. We've already unlocked a module by um, uh, Diogo, uh, Diogo Oilskull, so um, our, our resident any winner who's writing for us. Um, I think we've got a couple more modules up our sleeves and a load of other good stretch goals. I think we've hit one uh, this afternoon, actually, as well. So the, the special edition is now coming with a dust jacket, which has the uh, Haynes Manual style cover on it as well. So, uh, yeah. Uh, this is your you're the designer, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the designer. I actually designed this cover about two years ago because yeah, <laughs> I was like, I want to put a mech on like a workshop manual. Uh, so yeah, no, um, uh, that that was very much in the works from a long time ago. Yeah. So this is this is the game for people who looked at Lancer, yeah, liked the art, yeah, then realised it's actually a war game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, yes. I mean, I I love Lancer. I've never actually played it. Um, I got the book because I was like art, everything, like, love the concept, um, but, like, you know, I want to play it as a war game, not as an RPG, and um, so I was like, right, okay, well, look, how do we take that and change it, and, um, uh, yeah, that's why we've used Quest. Quest's surprisingly versatile, actually. Um, when we first sort of pitched it, it was kind of like, oh, is that going to work? Because it's so simple, um, but then we've layered a few extra um, sort of mechanics on top to help get that depth. Quest system. Yeah, using the Quest RPG system, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so using the Quest SRD, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so can you explain to people what that is and why uh, it's so simple? Yeah, so Quest um, uh, came out a couple of years ago, I think yeah. now, and um, uh, it's got a, a D20 core mechanic, no stats, it's a, it's a static um, resolution, and um, I mean, you've got a really good chance of success of most things, but it puts kind of tough choices in your way, and that's kind of the only thing, but then there are abilities as well. And we've used those abilities instead as sort of the mech systems and modules. <clears throat> and we've also layered another sort of level on top, which is heat and stress. So we can uh, do more things um, on a sort of short rest basis. So it's kind of used as like, uh, oh, okay, spend some heat, but then potentially put yourself at risk of overheating and you know blowing up your mech and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we, we find that it makes for a really good narrative base so that we don't have to get into the nitty gritty of, well, how many hundreds of meters away am I? And, you know, how much damage is this doing? You know, yeah, it's, it keeps it nice and simple. 
so we can really focus on sort of describing the scene and describing what you do as opposed to um, you know just looking at numbers. Yeah, yeah. Sense, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of the danger, right? Because it's, yeah. it's basically the aesthetic danger is yeah. um, stack porn on something yeah. like um, alien style. Um, yeah, yeah. CRT. Type yeah, teletext thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, so loads of different numbers going to different points. None of it makes any sense. Yeah, that's the it's all. Of it, isn't it? it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. This is solving it. Yeah, this is solving it because actually we don't really have any numbers. Um, the only numbers you've got, uh, we have three stats essentially, which is your health, um, how much stress you can take, and um, how much energy points you have or ability points. Uh, the pilots and the mechs we treat um, as kind of the same. They're, they're analogous systems. So where pilots have health points, stress, and ability points, mechs have uh, structure points, um, heat, and energy points. And then equipment and abilities translates to systems and modules. So like they're you know same but just different names. And um, so it makes it easy to hop out of your mech or hop back in. And um, yeah, you know, we, we deal with it like that. So. Um, so Salvage Union? Salvage Union, currently on Kickstarter. It's on Kickstarter until the uh, 5th of January. Um, uh, as I say, we're blowing through the stretch goals at the moment, so um, loads of stuff up our sleeve on that one. And um, uh, yeah, absolutely, back it. Um, get that Christmas present that you didn't realise you wanted. Um, yeah, get something for yourself. <laughs> I'm Tamsin Henderson from Loki Battle Mats. And the most exciting thing we've got on our stand, I think, is our very first written book, which is Untold Encounters of the Random Kind. It's very good. And that's the, uh, that's the um, random table book, over 100? Yes, we've got a, a thousand, over thousand? a thousand. Oh my God, I see. Over a thousand random encounters. Yes, <laughs> it's a bit of a beast. Yeah. Over a thousand random encounters. It's a hardback book, 350 pages. But it's more than just random encounters. It's, it's also a tool to let you build your own adventure so you could decide on your protagonist, your your adversaries, how that's going to plan out, what sort of scale you're after. And we've also put in some pre-generated adventures as well for 5e compatible and also some completely random tables, like roll up your tavern name sort of random tables as well. So we've got a bit of everything. So how do you see people using that? Because you often see um, uh, in later, later source books will always have um, They'll have like an adventure generator somewhere in them. Uh, do you see it being used as that? Could you even see this being used as something for solo play? Yes, it would be fantastic for solo play because it means you can surprise yourself, which yeah. is a, an amazing <laughs> gift. But uh, we're hoping it can be all things to all people, so you can use it as an adventure generator. So you can start off with literally a blank sheet of paper and use the book to build your adventure from there. Or if you have an adventure you're playing through, like one of the um, modules for the world's most popular role-playing game, perhaps you can use our book to add to that and add some excitement, some new NPCs. What game is that, by the, way? <laughs> <laughs> the name escapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It seems, it seems very good. It seems very good. I'm, uh, I'm very excited. Um, well, and what else? Are you, what else have, should we be talking about? The other new thing we've got with us is uh, the wilderness books of battle maps. Mm. So if you know about Loki battle maps and what we do, we do books of role playing maps, which essentially means you can open the book. There's an encounter area in front of you, and you can just get on and run your encounter without having to draw maps, or you can even use it to plan your game and design encounters around the books. We've got modular sets out, the Dungeon and Towns and Taverns, which are quite themed, obviously, for Dungeons and Towns and Taverns. And we finish off our trilogy this well, next year, early 2022, we release The Wilderness, which, as the name may suggest, is a book of many outdoor uh, encounter areas, uh, covering across lots of different um, 
biomes. I always get that word wrong. <laughs> uh, so you've got grassy tundras, forests, right through to mountains, iced areas, seas, coastlines. Any outdoor area you might want for any sort of fantasy. Um, so, let's say there's someone who doesn't already use um, battle maps at all or any kind of prop whatsoever to run their games. Um, sell me on the concept. Why would, you, why would I use one? Well, of course... It, Role-playing was done with Theatre of the Mind for many, many years. It's yeah. how Matt, our designer, started off doing it. Yeah. And this is a... I mean, obviously, games like 5th edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. Uh, the, certainly, the combat encounters are very tactical. So you've gone from a scenario where you can have... And you can still have a lot of immersion with, um, with Theatre of the Mind and, and through those sort of role-plays. But if you're playing 5th edition with tactical encounters, it really helps if you have a visualisation exactly with a five foot to one inch grid perhaps to help you see the scale of that. So you know where your lines of sight are, you know where your areas are. So if you're dropping a fireball somewhere, you know who it hits. Is it bigger than the room you're casting it in? Would that be a disastrous thing? It's very clear in front of you. And a lot of people, of course, play with miniatures yeah. on the books as well. So that's a nice way you can enhance your game. I, I mean, I, I, it's something I found as a GM. I didn't know my players wanted to start using it. Yes. So uh, it's, it's something I think most people need to try out at least. Yes, like I mentioned Matt before, he's my husband, it's a family business, he designs all our maps, but he's been a DM over 35 years now. And he, for many, many years, never used maps at all. And the, I think he used a map, and very quickly in the bigger scheme of things, now we have a company that makes and produces map books. And that happened very, very quickly. So yes, once you, once you go maps, you don't go back. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm Anna from the Rainy Day Games Collective. Uh, I'm down here selling my wonderful solo RPGs, trying to live <laughs> and also it's our first time exhibiting as rainy day games uh, with myself uh, jack harrison chris Bissett, and matt sanders and um uh, so can you do you want to give us a little potted uh view of what you've got on sale yep. here generally yep uh generally i have solo rpgs from the simulation heavy delve rise and umbra to the softer cozy fantasy of apothecaria to the weird scratching journal of the dick. Yes. Or to my partner's fantasy bestiary, uh, which is fantasy creatures redesigned by a zoologist. <laughs> that's very good. I haven't actually seen that. Where's yeah, that? that's right there. Ooh, I, I won't actually, I won't yeah. think we'll do that in a second. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the dick, because yeah. this is the big novelty item yes. you brought with you, mm -hmm. more or less. This is, uh, this is the big funny thing. Yep. So this is, thanks to my Patreon supporters, uh, I was able to do something weird and experimental. Uh, it is an A3 scratch poster, 21 grids that you scratch one a day. As the head of a paleontological dig, you're uncovering fossils and writing prompts. And I can't say too much about spoiling it, but let's yeah. say that it's sort of inspired by the mummy. It's turn of the century or whatever era you choose. It's got horror, it's got romance, and it's got a lot of bad things. Excellent. Um, I think it's good because it's, it's sort of like the... It's kind of a follow-up to Delve in some ways. It's like, if you like digging, yes. but then you could do slightly less of it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose I do have a bit of a weird hidden obsession with digging here, actually. This is the rut. Is, it's like an underground rut you've made yep. yourself here. Um, not in a bad way. Yeah, I, th I think my next game will just be dig a hole, the RPG. <laughs> uh, go out... 
you, know, you draw a card and it tells you how many feet you have to dig. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm Jeff from uh, Oakbound Studio. Um, we do uh, old school, traditional, classic styled uh, lead miniatures, um, but we try and partner it with a uh, sort of contemporary strategic rule set rather than just a bucket full of dice kind of game. Uh, so, and what, what is the game itself? So the, the main system we have is called The Woods. Uh, it's a scalable miniatures game, so it plays in uh, roleplay mode, skirmish mode, or battle okay. mode. Um, and it's a uh, diceless game, so everything is based on the stats that your models have. They combine in certain ways with actions on the tabletop to, okay. to give you compatible ranges or scores if you're trying to um, if you're trying to fight or influence your opponent's so some, characters. In some ways, it's GMless. It is, yes, yeah, yeah. You can, you can, obviously, you can play it yeah. with a GM, but in, in skirmish and battle mode, certainly, it's designed to not, to not need one. Um, but it is very objective-driven, so at the start of the game, you and your opponent will choose uh, what objectives you're going to try and do during the game. Um, and the, uh, the intention is to... Um, provide some alternatives to it just being a sort of straight combat game so though certain warbands are very good at ploughing in and hacking and slashing their way through to victory some warbands are very good at hanging back and shooting things but you're you're often not going to achieve your objective by doing that um, and in some cases if you spend too much time and attention doing that things can go horribly wrong for your side so there are uh, there are other ways of influencing the board you can interact with terrain features um, you can use things like uh, coercion and menace and intimidation to um, to make your opponent's models do things that, that you want them to do rather than the opponent wants them to do. There's a lot of um, sort of use and positioning of models is really is really important. So it's it's a bit um, it's a bit cerebral, um, but it's also uh, extremely narrative because it's so heavily rooted in the stats of the characters themselves so your your storyline is generated by the characters acting as they would on the tabletop because everything is driven by that stat line and that profile and then do you make the minis? yes yeah these are really cool uh, i think we're gonna have to both take a step towards this <laughs> okay yeah um, so that's uh, sorry everyone listening to this um so um there's this incredible uh like crawling dragon yeah the the eed worm yeah. um which is very much inspired by uh the, the sculpts of nick bibby the the early citadel sculptor um trying to go for a I guess quite sort of naturalistic, gringly-looking yeah. dragon, and he's he's specifically he's a worm, yeah. so he doesn't have wings. Yeah. But we do also sell a wing conversion yeah, kit for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah quite, that's quite a funny thing. Just yeah, uh, wings just ten quid. A bag of wings. Yeah, that's it. So for, suitable for any dragon, but yeah. specifically designed to yeah. to go. Best with him, yeah. <laughs> dragon wings, hot and tasty. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, and yeah, most of these uh, miniatures are, are sculpted in-house. There are a few in our range that are um, were commissioned sculpts. We've had other other sculptors every now and again doing bits for it, but primarily we're sculpting and casting everything ourselves. So it's very it's a very in-house unit. Yeah. Are we talking sort of? Um, oh, uh, we, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the spin caster is out in the shed. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, thank you very much. Yeah, you're My name's Matt Sanders and I write for Our Sealed Library. Um, I'm selling my games and the games of some friends and other publishers here. Um, and I'm going to talk about my game We Sail Beyond, which is a collaborative world building tool for fantasy RPGs where you 
as a group, play sailors in a tavern telling rumours of far-off lands and draw a map using those rumours to then play through in the rest of your campaign. Excellent. Um, so, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, it, it, uh, does it actually work in, um, with uh, 3D glasses on? It is not 3D glasses compatible. Oh, no. Um, it's, just, <laughs> it's just slightly trippy looking. Yeah. <laughs> so how, how does it work? Give us a bit more how it works. So, um, each player will take on a role of a character in a tavern. Um, and the idea is that your party are about to embark to this far off land. The sailors in the tavern have all been there, or claim to have been there, or may wish to sell you a map of this far off land. And you play those sailors. They tell stories of things that happened to them or people they knew in this far off land, and you document them to create a map. Um, then the GM running the game has some tools to establish if those rumours are entirely true, less than the truth, more than the truth, entirely falsified, or etc. And you steadily build this hex map that then you can play through as a hex map, or you can just enjoy the storytelling aspect of it. People have done both, um, where they just run it as a single session thing and have fun and make a map. People also use it as a content tool for uh, the beginning of a much longer campaign. Uh, I'm selling that for £15. It comes with a cool sticker of an octopus and a mini GM screen that gives the GM a quick reference for most of the tables I'll need. Excellent. Thank you very much. No problem, great. So, my name is Zach. I am known as Jelly Muppet on various parts of the internet and I run a role-playing game publishing company called Soul Muppet Publishing. Uh, we make games such as Best Left Buried, Orbital Boost, Digi and Library and we're here at Dragon Meat with a big, big stand full of lots of delightful things from the indie RPG scene that you will find nowhere else in the world that we have published and brought into print for uh, audiences at the convention to hopefully enjoy. And um, so Matt was just telling me that you've got a lot of, um, a lot of stuff from uh, South America yeah. and elsewhere. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, there's some parts of the world where it's easier to make RPGs than others. In places like the UK and America, you can get access to really good printing mm. and cheap distribution and borders are easy to manage whereas if you are in other parts of the world such as Latin America, Southeast Asia, Africa it can be a lot more difficult to get access to sort of things. We've got a couple of games of us at the moment we've got from some of the leading creators in uh, RPG LATAM so Latin America and some SEA creators as well in Southeast Asia. Uh, the big thing we're running at the moment is a Kickstarter called LATAM Breakout which is essentially We've given a load of money to people from that part of the world, uh, designers from Latin America, and they've just come up with a unique and brilliant selection of ideas. It's on Kickstarter now. I'm sure it'll be uh, off Kickstarter by the time that this reaches print. But um, essentially, it's five games, all, part, all by five different creators from that region with some really diverse perspectives, making games that you just, you know, wouldn't be made by Western creators and giving them access to Kickstarter and stuff like that. That's great. And so. Why do you think that's important? Because we, we often get this question of um, like representation in gaming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I think that if we only let the people who make games like Western white men do, then we're only going to get certain types of games. So some of the stuff that's being created by the folks in Latin America. Yeah, so some of the games from uh, Latin Breakout are just the kind of thing that very very different so one of the games is like it's called here there'll be monsters it's like an exploration of uh, the monstrosity of the queer body through the experience of like a, a trans woman living in um, in South America I can't tell you which country off the top of my head I don't want it to end up wrong in print <laughs> um, 
and then a couple of other games like one of the pitches for one of them is what if we play D&D but instead of being about um, you know like old school fantasy it was instead like playing Final Fantasy on a pirated you know JPEG back in the 90s or whatever so just a completely different experience and so just by listening to more voices from more parts of the world uh, you can get global perspectives that kind of don't reinforce the type of games that we're used to seeing already that you can a dime a dozen you can get a dime a dozen at places like Dragon Meat yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful talking to you, Chris. Hi, I'm, I'm Joe Norris of Adversity Games. I am here uh, demonstrating and selling for the first time ever my board game, Night Lancer, my first published board game. Uh, it's a competitive cyberpunk game for two to four players with optional solitaire rules for one to four. Um, currently rated 7.3 on Board Game Geek and getting a lot of positive reviews coming in from my Kickstarter backers and uh, customers since I put it out. Um, so t- tell us a bit about the, the kind of um, world we're in here. So it's, uh, a, it's a dystopian crumbling Birmingham of 2099 um, and you're kind of fighting out in the underworld with your unique, unique Night Lancer character <coughs> trying to survive and build yourself up so you can escape and avoid the collapsing society before it takes you down with it. So we've got, we've got dice, we've got cards. Um, uh, can, you, can you explain how the, maybe the mission structure works or anything like that? Okay, uh, so say the dice and the cards, it's all about character building. It's got a very role-playing kind of theme element. Yeah. Um, and it's inspired by a role-playing, kind of role-playing game campaign, taking it into one short game session. The main thing each round is the mission, is the mission cards. Yeah. And each mission has three stages that you do in order. Yeah. And at each stage you've got two different routes you can take, allowing you to navigate through the mission through, through the strategy that suits your character and your strategy for the game best. And so how does it feel? Does it feel like an RPG or does it feel more like a dungeon crawler? I think it's more like an RPG. Yeah. Um, so it's all about taking the, the really, the inspiration for the game was to take a role-playing game campaign and make it a short board game that you can play in an evening. And it's taking the really important decisions like that, like uh, what missions do you take? Do you take the dirty, you know, nasty assassinations or kidnappings or, or extorting money or do you try to keep it the targets, like you know, going for the, the wild corporations and take them down yourself, and making that sort of decision for your character. And do you get all the cyberware and cut out all your meat and <laughs> replace all your body parts? Uh, do you kind of try to build a contact network and have lots of lots of friends and build the community? Which way do you take it? And that's that sort of important, vital, central decision to the role-playing game, all in this board game. Uh, you can find me at adversitygames.com. Uh, I have a store set up there, and you can buy my game. I'll answer through the store. So I'm Willow Woods. Uh, I'm a fantasy indie author. Um, so I've got um, two, two of my novels, uh, Where I Belong and Shadow Courtesan. Uh, so they're both standalone fantasies. Uh, Where I Belong is like your uh, traditional fantasy and Shadow Courtesan is about uh, dark fantasy, about vampires. Good. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the, the plot, the characters, um, what kind of thing we'd expect? Uh, so in Where I Belong, you kind of... Um, follow Alexandra who washes up on the shores of Bournemouth with absolutely no, no idea of who she is except she's in a wedding dress um, and as you kind of go through her journey she, she realises she's a princess from another kingdom and she jilted her fiancé at the altar on their wedding day. That's cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Thank you. Is that, that's um, so Bournemouth? Yeah, Bournemouth. As in Bournemouth as in? As in south of England? Yes. Somewhere in England. Yes, okay, not yeah. mystical Bournemouth. No, no, it's, in, it's Bournemouth. <laughs> so it was originally set in Portsmouth and then I stayed yeah. at my friends in Bournemouth. Yeah. And she had an amazing flat, and I was like, I want to set it here now. Yeah. So it got like a last-minute change. So, yeah. That's great. Okay. Um, well, um, and, so what, and what, are you, what else are you bring to the table? Um, There's other bits and bobs I can see all about. So I've kind of launched today uh, some new bookmarks. I've got the emblems from um, 
both books and some badges with the, the same ones and I've started making jewellery as well to go with them. Beautiful. So keep them busy throughout the pandemic. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, my name's James, I work for Phalanx. We are a publisher of largely historic themed games but also other types of contemporary games or fun games as well. Um, so, uh, so tell us um, what, what have you brought here today that we're most excited about? The game we're most excited about is a game called Purple Haze. It's going to be launched on the crowdfunding platform GameFound next month in January. Uh, Purple Haze is an immersive simulation. Um, it's in part story creation, in part campaign game, in part tactical combat game, where you control the fate of six marines on um, tour in Vietnam. The game has eight linked missions and it has a campaign element because your marines can get experience points over the course of the campaign which will allow them to upgrade their specializations, they may take damage or injuries which will be permanent. It's very extreme amounts of storytelling in it um, and lots of narration. You'll do read through certain parts of the story, get keywords which will allow the story to branch over the course of the campaign and there will also be tactical combat and other kind of elements as well. Um, and, and can you remind me what the, the name of the um, video game that it was kind of inspired by? The original, uh, the designer was originally inspired by a game on the Amiga called The Lost Patrol, yeah. um, which was a um, essentially a, 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 a platoon of Marines had got lost and they need to get back home, and that's actually the first mission in our campaign game. Um, but then we've taken it and we've given it a lot more narrative text around it as well. But The Lost Patrol. The other two games we brought with us are Rocket Men, which is our. Um, a uh, game about modern day space exploration and modern day space race. It's a deck building game where you play the likes of Richard Branson, uh, Jeff Bezos and the like. Uh, and also we bought Nantina Arking, which is a Victorian London themed game for two to four players uh, where you're trying to outsmart your opponents and reach your secret victory conditions before your rivals. Both of those games are by Martin Wallace. Yeah. And uh, Nantina Arking is um, your way to get the old um, Discworld and Mortport game, isn't it? It's a, a reskin of the Discworld game. So Martin Wallace did the Discworld game when uh, Terry Pratchett died. Uh, that no one was able to use that um, Discworld IP anymore. He redid the game as Nantinarking, which means having a good time in Victorian rhyming slang, and set in um, Victorian London, where you play the likes of like Fagin or Shakespeare, uh, not Shakespeare, uh, Sherlock Holmes, and um, it's got lots of Victorian theme. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, I am Kath Morgan from Honey Badger Games. Uh, we are basically here to promote our products. Uh, we sell the food porn range of edible dice and edible other things as well, such as potions and meeples and anything geeks like to eat, really. And uh, you also featured in our advent calendar, which I, you can now reveal because you were number one. I certainly was, and I'm really, really excited to have been part of it for two years in a row. That's yeah. wonderful. We've, um, we've had some really nice, uh, excited people opening your stuff online. I don't know if you've seen it. I certainly have. I've, I've really, really enjoyed seeing all of the opening videos and, and unboxings. It's, it just makes me so happy. Uh, and uh, where can we find you online? Or outside Dragon Meat. Yeah, so honeybadgergames.co.uk, you can buy all of our products online. We are doing a Christmas cracker gift box which is only available online this year. I am Bez and I make stuff so I call my company Stuff by Bez. I've been making games since 2014, I've been designing them for decades now. It's pretty much the passion of my life. My first waking memory is of a spectrum loading screen, my first Kickstarter was just over seven years ago in a bind it's done really well now as yogi and i'm privileged that people are continuing to support me 
through DLZEC, through Kitty Cataclysm, and now I'm here with my busy budget bags. After obviously a long spell of COVID and no one being able to do anything last year. I guess I'm here because I just love conventions. I think that conventions are just such a fantastic thing to be able to come over and see how people respond to your stuff. Because ultimately, you can't, you're never sure, is this good? Is this, how good is it? Until you see people and then they're telling you, I played this game with a hundred kids and an assembly, and that just blows my mind. And then some of the people come and say, oh, I already know this, I want to buy it. Some of the people are learning it for the first time. And some of the people just come over to say hello. And all of those things are lovely. It's an opportunity to connect, to meet people. Like, I mean, frankly, having wee chats, and don't get me wrong, the marketing and like, exposure is a fantastic thing. Um, I've, obvious, I've got pretty much all my games with me. I've got my back catalogue of Yogi and Yogi Guru, which is the expansion for that. I've got the L deck and Kitty Cataclysm which is all about chaos and card play and Capcoms. And I've got two new things, which I just released this year. A game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. And a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different and watching out for turnips. Uh, just, just for the listeners at home, that's the titles of the games, not, not descriptions of them. Although you might say, you know everything you need to know. Yes, <laughs> you can check it out on Board Game Geek. And what I love is that when I get a notification, everything else just takes one line. So it's like, okay, that's my game. Because it's three lines for the name. So it's like, hey, I get to see it in... Uh, so, so um, uh, a game about quickly grabbing creatures and uh, totally different watching out for turnips is a... Um, Kind of a, an, an unmatching game. Exactly. It's actually started um, in early 2020, just before the pandemic hit. And I was trying to think of some more casual games, something that could go mass market. And I was thinking about the whole genre of cards being flipped, you react to it, and there's a lot of matching. And what about a game where you're avoiding matches? That feels like an obvious twist. I don't know if anyone's done that exactly, but in the first iteration, which I tried just before lockdown happened with friends, it was similar, the maths was there, but the framework of the game wasn't quite there. So after lockdown, maybe a few months ago, I brought it out again and it was very much a rush. I'm not going to say rush, that sounds like I didn't give it enough time, but it was very much a speedy development and just trying out four or five different rule sets in one day and saying, okay, which one of these works well? And then someone saying, okay, that one. But have you considered maybe having a little bit extra to this game? What if there was something like turnips? And then when you flip over a turnip, something happens. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, okay, what's the natural result of that? Well, turnips are totally different to all the creatures. So you could go creature, turnip, creature. Well, what if there's a limit on how many turnips you have? What if you can only grab two turnips? Well, that works fine. What if you could... And then once it was up to four or five turnips, then it became like an extra challenge of keeping count of how many turnips you've picked up. And it sounds really simple, but having to do two simple things, firstly, are these creatures totally different? And secondly, in your mind, how many turnips have you picked up? You're going to get one or the other wrong sometimes. 
I made a mistake earlier today and I could blame it on the fact that it's been a convention, I'm a bit tired, whatever, but that's the way it is, like sometimes you play these games after a busy day and it feels like an adult game, even though it's very joyful and very kid-like, it feels like one that even an adult is going to trip up on because it pushes you to go as fast as you can and then at the end of the game you do pass everything to the person on your left so you get this ruthless audit to say how many turrets have gotten oh you got six that's too many oh oh you see these two creatures they both have a tail that's and so i'm really proud of how people have been responding and again because it's a busy budget bag the whole idea is that i can sell it for a fiver and then people are buying extra copies for christmas presents and stuff yeah. Really, the, 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 um, the busy budget bag. Yeah. Um, there you go. So we, we are literally talking about a, uh, a like a baggie that you'd get in a normal um, like a board game. Yes. Um, which is uh, interesting, no isn't it? <laughs> um, that people have reacted so well to because people expect, I think, oh. or you expect people to expect, um, uh, like. I don't think so. I think that the point of it was that it takes away a lot of the stress. It allows me to experiment and I can print 50 copies of it. Originally, the first one, a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises, I think that was, it is a very different game. I don't know many games out there that are about making noises and trying to match them. I think it's pushing new ground. But 50 copies at UK Games Expo was sold out within a day. And I think after the Kickstarter, when I had like 550 copies, I was expecting maybe to sell 100 copies through that. But I'm going to be able to make money on this so much more easily than with a box where I have to print 1,000 copies. This is obviously operating on a much smaller scale, whereas Yogi, they sell like 20,000 like at a time. This is me getting back in touch with the roots and expressing myself. It's like my art, my idea, trying to do it in a way that I think it's good. And you talk about, yes, the rules are done on cards for cheapness. They are... Um, I think we say things like cheapness and then... Well, like, it's passing it on to the consumer. Yeah. I'm passing on all my savings. I'm not... Honestly, like, if I... I, I think it's good. I think it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, as you say, back to the roots, uh, kind of indie. I quite appreciate it. I think it's good. So, what have we got coming next? Well, coming next, I'm going to keep experimenting with more busy budget bags because that just offers me an opportunity for more and more things. I'm hoping to have at least a digital version and there's going to be a game about drawing creatures, complementing the drawings, then complementing the compliments. And so it's kind of recursive. So first, everyone shows off these drawings that they've done based on prompts that are on the cards. And then everyone once you do your grand reveal everyone else in the group has to give it compliments and then at the once everyone's done their grand reveals everyone going around says oh i just want to appreciate your compliments because we don't get enough compliments in real life and at this point i think it's just nice to have a game which is just about feeling good and making everyone smile and every time i play test it everyone's smiling by the end 
and someone's told me, you know that people have to give you the compliments, you know that they are told to by the rules of the game, but it still feels good to get these compliments. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming here. Hi, uh, I'm Paolo, I run Los Pages, uh, we are a, a fantasy RPG publisher, we mostly focus on uh, occult uh, um, books for fantasy RPGs, and uh, we just came out with a Kickstarter for the Book of Gob, it's a system agnostic, uh, magic and microfiction, creepy horror spell book about these and it appears in your nightmares and uh, gives you access to, blast mag to black magic and uh, and yeah it's very good, very good and it's, um, it's sort of a mystery in some ways isn't it it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a collection of odd little fragments yes it's a so every spell has a has a, has a microfiction attached to it and that is there to set the mood and to yeah, give a bit of background on uh, how to use it, or maybe like some hints or some just flavor. Can you give us one example of your, your favorite bit? Oh, uh, my favorite bit is uh, there's a lot of it uh, that is great. Uh, one of my favorite bit is well, just the, one of the ways the spell inverts expectations. Uh, there's a spell called hypochondria. Okay. It's, a, it's a curse. It just gives you hypochondria. Yeah. Um, and uh, essentially, you fill a pouch with rusty nail and something of the victim, and you hide it in their home. And um, if they succumb to the spell, they get cursed with um, all the effects of the wounds and you know illness to increase to be increased tenfold. And nobody believes them. That's the thing. That's the curse. Nobody believes them. Um, and it's just terrible. It's a it's a it's a book filled with black magic. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and uh, and yourself, Peter. Hi, uh, I'm Eric. Uh, I'm a friend of Paolo's, and I'm the author of Macchiato Monsters, the old school black and white RPG we did together maybe five years ago. And now I'm here as the editor in, in chief of Knock Magazine, which is a bric-a-brac of old school D&D stuff. Um, and that's what I'm trying to uh, share the word about. Well, t t tell us about why why we need Knock in the world. We need Knock because uh, web pages are becoming very, very dusty. Uh, they are pearls of wisdom and great stupid D20 tables of what the goblins left in the basement that have been forgotten. Uh, there are new writers as much as, as well as these old writers that ha who have so much to share. So we just want to put that on paper in a 200 plus page uh, full color magazine that you can put in your shelves and pull out whenever you want to uh, prep a session or just laugh about the goblins. Great, thank you. So, where can we find you both? Oh, on uh, <laughs> I've, I've, just been, I've just been handed a, 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 a business, business card. Uh, <laughs> my website is lostpages.co.uk, uh, and I'm on Twitter as lostpaolo. Um, on Twitter, I am at surcapitaine. Yeah, it's French. Uh, Sir and Captain, the French, the French spelling, and uh, our website is themerrymushmen.com. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. Okay.
go. So, um, who are you? What are you doing here? Um, and, uh, how did you get in? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Grant Howitz. I am a tabletop game designer, and I am one third of Rowan, Rook, and Deckard. We are a publishing house operate, operating out of East London and Sheffield. And I'm doing what I'm doing here is I'm selling games uh, and getting to see people in meat in meat space and refuse my first handshake. I've never refused a handshake, and I got to go. No, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Very good. So, um, uh, so your flagship game right now, yes, is Heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the City Beneath, I think. The City Beneath. What's it beneath? Uh, it's Beneath Spire, our previous game. <laughs> so Spire was The City Must Fall, uh, which was about overthrowing a, uh, overthrowing a, uh, I was about to say corrupt government, but just an evil government. Yeah. Um, you play Dark Elf, basically freedom fighter terrorists. And uh, Heart is uh, it's kind of a sister game to that, so it's set underneath the city of Spire. There's this roiling tear in reality called The Heart, and you play the doomed lunatics who go in there and uh, we what we wanted to do is explore the idea of dungeon crawling and delving as something which isn't like normal sensible people don't do it and so we wanted everyone to be like absolutely tragic and absolutely going to die and so it is very focused around um, well for example there are 21 sorry 27 high level abilities in the game and 26 of them kill you permanently when you use them Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. It's fun. It's really good. I really like death moves. I think they're, I think they're great. Yeah. Uh, and and when you when you kill a player character, you can afford to get really loosey goosey with the rules because you don't have to balance it afterwards. Yeah. It's pretty swish. Yeah. That's what heart is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've I've been slowly working through heart, mm. um, nibbling at it when I get finally. Okay. Um, but um, so I've not got to that bit. Yet. Uh, I'm suddenly <laughs> um, like. Uh, more interested Good. Uh, because uh, player death is made from my favourite oh it's me- great mechanic oh it's nice isn't it it's lovely <laughs> so, so, why did you make that because there'll, people, people, there'll be people who just say that sounds bad don't want that and is it a brave decision to have made that choice to have a player death mechanic like that um, is it a brave decision I, I think that role playing games are primarily about combat and especially dungeon delving games are about combat and often quite lethal combat and death itself in your standard sort of traditional Dungeons and Dragons we have that as the baseline it's rather unexciting it's possible to reverse it which is quite boring and it's it's three uh, d20s and you've got basically toss a coin three times and if you do wrong you're dead and I don't care about that it isn't very exciting and it should be this massive exciting big thing that happens the same thing with hit points every injury is the same and in heart, every injury is bespoke and hideous, <laughs> and it's possible to do things like you can injure. Uh, the, the, the way the system works, we have the same rules for hit points as we do for running out of rope or torches or having the town turn against you and chase you out or um, popping from too much energy, like bursting like a ripe grape. And I don't think it's a brave decision because I've been writing games about death for a very, very long time, and this is kind of the zenith of that. Um, the very first, uh, I, I got my start in games doing uh, doing LARPs, so I got my start. We did. I don't think we ever really broke even or anything. It's, it's not like I got my chops on there. But um, for the first thing I did is with uh, with the other members of Rowan, Rick, and Decker, we ran a game called Zombie LARP, and it was a it was a LARP, and the the character this average character survival time was seven minutes, and everything was geared around having a really brilliant death. Yeah. 
and it's something um, as a uh, this is perhaps a bit heavy. I suffer from depression. I suffer from suicidal impulses and thoughts. And this is quite a cathartic way of me talking through that and me getting able, me exploring the idea of like, well, what if it, what if it could matter? And how can I go through and give other people the keys to play with life and death? I think it's something that's very important that unites all of us. And I think that it is given. It's such a big deal in a TV show, but it can just happen if you roll the wrong number. On a dice, and I, th- I want it to be—I want it to be important. Uh, that's an extremely good answer. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, um, so can we talk about what's coming next? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we—we've uh, just—I've <clears throat> just finished writing four source books for Spire. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for Sin last year. Oh, no, it was earlier this year, um, which was really good. Uh, so Sin is a—it deals with religion and. Um, Sorry, I should explain what Spire is first. Spire is a game, as I mentioned earlier, about overthrowing the government. You play Dark Elves, trying to dethrone High Elves. Uh, we've had one source book uh, called Strata, which focuses on high and low society. On this one, we're focusing on religion and the state power and crime. So we're going into all the different districts, we're fleshing out things. We've got in some brilliant writers to do some incredible work. Cat uh, Evans, for example, who's got a table over there, did uh, did uh, did the state religion, which is lovely. And like, um, what, what is the state religion? Is, uh, the, yeah. the the state religion is sun worship, and all drow uh, have fatal sunburn. So there's kind of there's kind of a fun sort of yeah. trick around that. Um, so we've got, the, we've got, we've got that, that coming out soon. It's unfortunately, ship's, uh, film has been delayed on account of, you know, the everything. And the fact that, we, the, fact that the world ran out of paper, apparently. Yes. Uh, which is fun. I, yeah, which must... Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure it's come <laughs> up in your publication once or twice. The, um, so we've got that coming out. We have uh, four source books attached to that, which are... We've got, like, an in-character revolutionary zine published by a rich idiot. We've got a um, we've got the Magister's Guide, which is sort of additional rules, and it's like one of the things which we wrote about Inspire was the little box out, which is if if one of your char- if one of your players is playing this character, here's the sort of thing they might want, and just sort of little prompts. And I was like, why not turn that into half a book? So there's bespoke fallout, uh, there's bespoke equipment, there's there's enemies for every character class we've got in there. We have the conspiracy kit, which is. You know how you know jam screens. Yeah. You know how they come with a little booklet, and sometimes, yeah. so, sometimes you get like you might get an adventure or something in there. Well, I don't like jam screens, but I do like little booklets, and so and so we we promised a jam screen, and I was like, fuck it, we're doing a seventy-page book, which is about um, it, it is lets you build your own bespoke conspiracy for players to inveigle and infiltrate, and it's got the got NPCR and and it turns out a really nice jam screen, uh, and a fourth book. The quick start. There's a quick start, but that's just like spy, but slightly less than free. <laughs> hey, we like a quick start. We like a quick start. Quick starts are good. Yeah. I. Uh, it's always a challenge doing quick starts as well because people. I think that there is a lot to be said for taking a game as it's me- as it's presented in yeah. the um, in its in its fullness, yeah. and it's a bit like uh, getting a quick start. It's like getting takeaway from a from a fancy restaurant. Yeah. In that you're not going to get the ambience, you're not going to have everything presented. It's food's not going to be the right temperature. Yeah. Uh, the music isn't playing. The waiter doesn't come over and pick up your knife when you drop it. That sort of thing. Uh, so, 
it's been it's been interesting to do quick starts, but we've we've taken it, we've refined the rules bit up. So it's like so we've got nice diagrams. We've got a really fun scenario which involves a fake bishop. It's really good. Uh, so yes, that is what's coming next from us. Yeah. Hopefully next year. That's, that's fabulous. Um, Definitely next year. We've got a year to do it. Um, so uh, on quick starts, because yeah. you are the second person today to tell me that. Quick starts, got to be careful. Absolutely. Uh, because it can be uh, the worst way to introduce someone to a game. Um, so, I think they're brilliant. Because yeah. I, I, I think, um, until very recently, although I, I, I now realise that uh, I missed out a lot of Call of Cthulhu joy, I've been playing Call of Cthulhu scenarios with my friends, um, uh, just from the quick start rules, just from the quick start character creation, all that stuff. We'll get you there, yeah. Yeah. And, and then you open, you crack open the, the book, and you're like, man, I've missed out on a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know. Operate heavy machinery? <laughs> I, I can take levels in that? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, and it's just. Should, should, we, should we stop doing quick starts? No. Okay. I don't think we should stop doing quick starts. I think that they. Like, this is like a role playing game is a, is a huge barrier to entry. Because not only do you need to read a whole book, then you need to partially memorize some of it and then recreate some of it and then convince six other equally strange people to come and pretend to be an elf in your house every week forever most campaigns aren't like oh it's going to be 12 games it's going to be six games it's like no it's just just until we get bored of pretending to be these elves and so quick starts are really good because they let you have a effectively as a loss leader you can say right here is the rough idea of the thing it is we'll mark it down We'll give you everything you need. It's really good as well to hand out to players if they've got like a sort of pricey of the rules in there. Um, but I remember um, back playing uh, free RPG. Sorry, playing uh, free RPG day back when what what is what is called New World of Darkness, but is over a decade old now. There's Old World, New World, and Chronicles. Um, New World had come out, and there was a uh, they did they did little um, like tiny little pamphlet, uh, like, like, uh, like like wee booklets for each one of their supernatural games. And the mage book is, like, the mage setting in New World is fascinating. It's this wonderful sort of global, um, paranormal, interdimensional struggle for awakening. And there's all these cool spells and all these different factions and everything's really interesting. The quick start is like, right, you're a dude. You're a wizard. You like death. Here are three spells you can't cast yet. Go bother someone in a room. And I, I want that lore. I want that heaviness. I want that bigness. And so you have to be quite careful about what you're presenting. Um, from a marketing point of view, you have to try and give people enough that like, oh, I like this. I want more. And that is quite tricky to pull off. Um, but some people have done it. Some people haven't. And I hope I hope we're going to be one of the people who have. Yeah, no, I think. Well, no, I imagine we'll be. Um, so you make quite quite good looking books. We do make good looking books. Um, but you are, I think, you're still indie, aren't you? We'd, we'd, we'd call you indie. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we we make and publish our own stuff. Yeah. So we're we're indie, but we're successful. I think yeah. that's probably the way you could put it. I, I, I was just thinking, like, because there, there's that thing there of. Um, uh, the quick start. If the quick start works, why isn't that the whole game? Mm. There's, there's like that question, isn't there? Like, why not? Do, why not have a pamphlet? You know? And and, like, and some people do. Yeah. Um, and I think like um, Chris McDowell, who you chatted about yeah. earlier, Into the Odd is amazing. Yeah. 
and um, the game uh, Silent Titans, mm. which was uh, Patrick Stewart wrote that. The rules are the rules for Into the Arc are, are on a bookmark, which comes in the game, and everything else is just setting. And like, <laughs> you can do that. You can boil down games to a single page, and we do. Yeah. We have a we have. Um, I'm, I think I'm up to like 65 one-page games now. Um, and so that is definitely one way in which you can you can tell stories, and you can just give people the keys and go right, make up your own stuff, have fun with it. And that, and then there is the other side of things where we're able to have right. Here's this world. Go explore it. Go mess around. Um, here are the mechanics which push you in a certain way, and you need a bit more than a pamphlet to do that quite often. So, finally, mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk about um, uh, something I mentioned right at the beginning of this, which okay. is uh, a one-page RPG yeah. that you made okay. called um, Jason Statham's um, Big Vacation, big vacation mm -hmm. which I keep calling the Sexy Vacation. Mm -hmm. Not correct. Not correct at all. Too many syllables doesn't scan. <laughs> Uh, and also just a bit weird as well. Well, it doesn't I mean, have to be yeah. sexy vacation. Well, I suppose he's, he's, he's not a bad-looking guy. <laughs> he's a he's a little sort of packet of muscle. <laughs> so, um, well, let, let's talk about one-page RPGs. Because mm -hmm. um, uh, were you doing them at an alarming regularity at one point? Yes, uh, you, I'm still. Are you still doing them at one a month? One a month. One a month, every month for uh, five years now, I think. Yeah. So, we, so, so when I say I've done 65, that's been one a month. Yeah. Uh, I've recently started collaborating with other writers. Yeah. So I've had collaborations with uh, Chloe Mascheter, with uh, Daniel Mallory, who doesn't write role-playing games, but, it's, but I, uh, he, he does uh, he does like incredible cultural commentary and like literary jokes. I believe he's one of this. He, he, I believe he's one of this generation's greatest writers and he got to write a stupid role-playing game about a uh, Commedia dell'arte heist with him. Uh, with Chris McDowell we did a game about turning into a robot when you don't want to turn into a robot. Uh, I've done uh, with Sasha Siena who's part of MacGuffin. Uh, I've got ones coming up with Jian uh, uh, Sheng. I've got um, Jay Dragon as well. So like a lot of really exciting collaborations and it's been lovely to have the capacity to go I've got a third of an idea, what have you got? And they're like, i got a third of an idea! And then we just sort of like, and the game comes out. And, he, and I end up going in directions I wouldn't have gone, and that's really lovely. But yes, we've put out one a month. Um, and I, I joke and say that I ran out of ideas about four months in. And that's not strictly true, but it's not strictly false. <laughs> Great. Um, well, thank you for talking to me today. Um, thank you for having where me. Where can people find you? You can find me at rrdgames.com. That is that is the much more typable version of Um We have uh, we have all of our free games on there, all of our paid games on there as well. Uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter, which comes out once a month if I remember, and it always has at least one game in it and two if I forgot. Um, you can you can also follow me on Twitter. Like the best thing to do if you want to if you want to keep up with what we're doing is follow me on Twitter at gshowitt. That's G S H O W I T T. Um, and you can see pictures of models I've built and previews for all, of, of upcoming work, which I post so people will say nice things to me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So uh, my name is Barney. I'm one of uh, the few people at Parable Games that have got Shiver, uh, the role-playing game. So Shiver is a project that we cooked up over the lockdown period, sort of our pet project that's finally made it into fruition. Uh, a game to tell your favourite sort of 
horror film stories, try and make better decisions than the people in the movies, ultimately fail, but have a great time doing it. Um, really excited to be a Dragon Meat and sort of bring it with us and show people all the, all the work that we've done, which is real fun. What sort of tropes are we, uh, we approaching? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely everything. So it's, it's completely setting neutral because we wanted people to, whatever their favourite sort of B-movie is, we wanted them to be able to play it. So you can play anything from Scooby-Doo to Saw um, with the system. Uh, some of our favourites are in there. So if you like things like John Carpenter's The King or uh, The Thing or Alien or Kids on Bikes, that kind of stuff. Big Stranger Things references in some of the, some of the stories. Um, the, the, yeah, a bit of everything really it's a real real mixing pot excellent uh, and so um, where can people find you online so uh, you can find us on twitter at gamesparable or at shiverrpg.com and we've got a kickstarter coming early next year as well oh what's that kickstarter it's shiver gothic so it's the first expansion for the game uh, we're diving into all things gothic horror vampires werewolves organ music and cathedrals lovely stuff thank you very much thank you Oh, so, Chris, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, would you mind introducing yourself to those listening on the podcast? Okay, uh, well, my, my name is Chris Birch, uh, and along with Rita Birch, my wife, uh, we're the co-founders of Midifius Entertainment. We started it ten years ago. Is that all? Sorry? Is that all? <laughs> yeah, I know, it's gone very fast. Because sort of, uh, Midifius is very, like, um, like a pillar of uh, the gaming community right now, much. isn't it? Is he, I think it's fair I guess, to say. maybe, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean we're talking, I've been talking to lots of pillars, pillars of the community. I spoke to um, uh, Dominic Medow um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, earlier. And, um, he's lovely. He is. He's a very, very lovely man. Yes. Very lovely yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but everyone is here. So yeah, no, it's a wonderful community. <laughs> yeah. uh, Especially so, in England. Well, ever yeah. so friendly. Yeah. It's, um, but no, it's been, it's been very good. So yes, um, so you have announced some new stuff that's coming. Yeah. Um, would you, would you like to tell the readers about it? I mean, usually what I do with these things is I, I come up to people and I say, um, who are you, what the hell are you doing here, and what have you brought with you? Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, don't, I feel I almost can't do that to you because your list is quite long. It is uh, quite so, a big list. We've got too many games, I think. So maybe we'll just do, what, what's the coolest thing you're, um, you're shouting about today? Well, for me, probably Acton Cthulhu, the new yeah. 2D20 edition, because that's where we started. Yeah. It's, and it's our our universe yeah. so we, we sell lots of other very cool universes like Fallout and Dune and Star Trek and uh, Elder Scrolls and I could go on but um, Acton Cthulhu is you know our baby that was the first game that's what launched the company and to finally have our own edition you know our own core cool rule book and uh, all beautiful new artwork for, uh, for 2D20 is really amazing to see like a the, the circle is complete yes that's it, that's it. <laughs> i yeah. can i can retire now that's, that's it, it. Yeah. <laughs> you've com- you completed running an rpg company yes yes <laughs> yes i've leveled up yes <laughs> uh so yeah so that's been really good um i mean but also the skyrim board game yeah i've been living and breathing for the last month uh yeah. doing about three interviews and yeah. and playthroughs a day which is quite exhausting but every time it's different because yeah. the game is so wildly you know uh, I mean we, I suppose we innovative. should I guess we have to tell people about that of course yes. Uh, so what God, I, I have to do these stupid questions what is it <laughs> uh, so it's an adventure board game so you're moving around a big map of Skyrim you're leveling up mm. your character you, you're doing quests uh, you're getting cool gear going into dungeons facing different rooms of you know dungeon creatures it's not a dungeon crawl each, each room is like a card, an enemy that you face or a trap that you have to deal with, or maybe a, a, a puzzle. 
and um, you get that you, you kill them all get their treasure get some some components you start upgrading and enchanting your gear and what but what's really interesting is there's this very deep narrative mechanics uh, so it's a, a big kind of resettable legacy game nice two big campaigns first campaign 25 years before the events of the video game the second campaign during the time of the Dragon Ball and the Stormcloak Rebellion uh, there's three chapters in each campaign each, the, cha- the decisions you make in each chapter in which decision you make with the quest will affect the end game will affect whether people live or die in the game um, failures lead to people dying who are potentially very useful for you later in the game so it's a uh, the game learns from your decisions, and other players' uh, futures are affected by your decisions as well. So you make a choice that can affect another player's choice. So okay, uh, can you give us an example of that? Because that that's um, so. Uh, it's not because, a, because we're talking about a board game. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite as hard as you think. So, for example, we have um, some starting quests. Like we have uh, four starting stories. Two of them uh, share. Uh, where's two pairs of the of the same um, uh, where you can make the same choices yeah. and but so if I pick uh, I get two choices to make if I pick choice that leads me to card 177 and you have a card which also has that choice on it you can't get 177 so you get 176 which is a different storyline oh, which neither okay. of us could have got yeah. without me one of us picking the first one so, okay, so yes. by us, me making a choice, it's opened up a new story. That's not yeah. worse for but you, but, but it's by, just different. But, but by subtraction, it's like by, by removing the card that you've got. Yeah. That, so that's how yeah. you actually... And a lot of games yeah. like this yeah, use yeah, big yeah, books yeah. of storyline. Uh-huh. So by, by using cards, we're able to yeah. um, force changes in the narrative yeah. that yeah. wouldn't happen if you had a book without yeah. draw, crossing out entries. Yeah, it would be a bit, a bit annoying. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And so cards get removed from the yeah. deck, and cards get added to the game. For we have this like massive numbered deck of about 400 plus cards in the base game, another couple of hundred in the uh, Dawnguard expansion. So cards get brought into the game, but into the various decks. So you you might add cards to the dungeon deck, you might add cards to the treasure deck, or um, various other decks. So the, the game's content starts growing based yeah. on your decisions. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because that sort of um that's it, because I didn't expect to have this conversation actually, because this is the legacy conversation, yeah. really, yeah. which is, I think, um, was solved last year, we thought, by uh, Oath, oh, yeah. um, more or less, because that, that, that's a uh, legacy game that we don't rip anything up, and you've also done the same thing here. Yeah, so you can, you can totally reset it at yeah. the end. So you get to the end, you put all the numbered, well, all the cards back in the decks, yeah. and then start again, and then pick one of the other choices at the beginning. Yeah. And then maybe play an Altmer instead of a yeah. Nord. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, and then, there is an end, isn't there? It's still uh, like, it's there is a, there is an end to the yeah. story, yes. Yeah. But um, every the chap the ending of many of the chapters mm. can change yeah. depending on your choices. So you, I might pick Stormcloaks mm. or Imperials yeah. in the um, Stormcloak Rebellion. Yeah. That affects the end game. In Dawnguard, some of us might become vampires. Some of us might become Dawnguard. You still have to work together to defeat the big enemy, but yeah. we're also supporting these factions yeah. fighting each other. And so the the whole kind of the world of, of Skyrim changes based on your decisions, mm. but you're still working towards this big um, big plot ending. But then we go, go and, but none of those endings are like so secret mm. that it's boring to play again. Yeah. When you reset, you want to see all the different choices. And I explain it like climbing up a pyramid. Mm. There's four sides we can climb up. 
And when you climb up a pyramid, do you want to start at the left end, the right end, in the middle? Do you want to go left? Do you want to go right? We're still getting to the top. Um, so all our, ch- but our, our choices are branching and branching and branching until we get to the top. And so there's so much potential to replay it and replay it and replay it and replay it. Yeah, excellent. Um, that sounds really good. And the, okay, so then this joins us back onto the other Skyrim project, which I was just saying off mic. Um, oh yeah. I, I hadn't understood the scale that the um, uh, your, the Skyrim miniatures game oh, yes. was going to get to. Oh yes. Because uh, you, you showed me a couple big. of slides that there's some yeah. new stuff coming. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell us about what's coming? Yeah. So we've got uh, the Dawn Guard coming. Yeah. So uh, really cool um, yeah. Dawn Guard armor. You've got vampires coming. Um, so you've got two new factions. Mm. Uh, so that uh, and you can play vampire characters. Yep. Uh, you've also got the big, the big demon lord, uh, vampire lord, yep. uh, in his you know form. Uh, you've got um, uh, new adventurers. Um, so it's like a whole storyline that progresses, and there's going to be a you know a whole storyline with the you know dawn guard and vampires, and lots of new gear yep. related to them as well. Yep. So it's uh, yeah, and that's. I mean, we're, we have like a new chapter, maybe probably about twice a year, with lots of new expansions yeah. over several months. It's, it's one of those things where I, I sort of felt like it was um, the game was quite complete when it was released in lots of ways because yeah. of because of the systems it offered the players. It offered the players like this sort of uh, which we've briefly spoken about before. This like idea of like narrative wargaming yeah. type adventure sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, it's more um, about. Kind of dungeon crawling or going up against AI enemies. Yeah. I mean, every every faction in the game can be played as an AI enemy. Yeah. Which is great. So you can play against anyone you want. Yeah. Which is it's just interesting space because we, we we talked about this this thing of um uh well you you said to me would it be more fun to lose yeah and that being, yeah. that being a, a, a interest like a better almost better play experience yeah so, yeah I um, mean I'm. You, you won't see some. I mean, that's Elder Scrolls is a. I think all the games we're doing, all the miniature games we're doing, are different facets of our research yeah. into that that's big concept feel, yeah. of. And the new games have got a big new IP we're launching, which is a prequel to Acting Cthulhu, uh-huh. that's going to have a war game element, and that will have a lot of this. There's another game we've got coming, and so I'm kind of diving deeper into this rabbit hole of. Uh, the challenge of making a game so much fun to lose. Yeah. Why would you want to win? Why would you want to finish the um, uh, to, to go for the objectives? If yeah. and that, that's the interesting thing that the challenge. And it, I don't I don't pretend to have the answer yet because no. there's all this little like, interesting kind of mechanics and how you bring out a story in a war game such that um, of course if, of course it's great fun rolling dice and yeah. killing the enemies, but Oh, but over there, if I go over there to the other side of the board, there's a thing. And if I if I find that thing, I'm going to discover who my family were. And if I discover who my family were, that unlocks a new unit that yeah. I get for my army. Or well, you know, it's like this whole idea that, um, of course, the the narrative unlocks more fun stuff for the yeah, war game. But the narrative, in in its set, in a sense, yeah. is going to be part of the reward. So it's so. almost can I make a compelling enough narrative to. Um, Almost distract from the like mechanical um, drive yeah. that you, you kind of put because obviously every game you kind of put an equation in front of people and yeah. a lot of people sit there and just say the most work out the most efficient way to get from the, the beginning to the end. I, and I want to, in a way, confuse them to go. Yeah. Well, I could. I mean, so the people who just want to fight a battle can. Yeah. 
but the people who are like well that could be more interesting because I'm playing the long game I want to play the story game think about it as like um, you know every movie that's a kind of you know the, the rebel movie is the rebel has to travel around find the various new friends yep. that join up with him and then they gain the help of the elves and then they gain the help of the dwarves yep. and finally they have this big battle at the end and actually the big battle at the end yeah. is a distraction really it's just the end of the movie it's the big kind of finale but actually what the real the yeah. enjoyable bit is seeing does he convince the elves to join them does he convince the, el- the, the dwarves to join them? does he get the kind of cool sword that's critical to the final battle and it's all that that I love that that's what I want to get out of a war game is like how do we how do we get that sort of sense of building your story as a force you know whether it's a general with a huge army or as a plucky little hero who's gradually building a band of, of companions to, to go on a, on a fight and the adventures they have along their way and, it, and it, it's almost starting as a role-playing game and ending us up as a epic Warhammer you know yes. host battle you know with hundreds of figures so and that's the, the the story I want to tell with war games is, is such that I can play on my own mm. and have way more fun <laughs> <laughs> but I can play with you yeah. and we're not fighting each other so you know classic war game you know the joke is two, two people play a war game one walks away happy yes. <laughs> and, and it's that you know and lots of people can be uh, okay about playing a war game together and yeah. you know it's, it's a lot I don't care if I lose yeah and um, but you know, for a lot of people, it's not fun to lose, and you just painted yeah. all those figures, and you were really hoping to get a win, especially with tournaments. Yeah. My challenge to our our team is uh, for retailers: let's make a, a, a to- in tournament event for yeah. a store so much fun to be a co-op event, mm. okay. and not because I want fifty people to go into a shop and play a tournament where every single person wins. And they all walk away going, oh my God, that was amazing. Uh, so we're doing, so it's Lord of the Rings, yeah. but you've got, the ring has to go to Mordor, but there's actually 50 hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all on the, we're all on the journey. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's all sorts of things like maybe you'll get to see this hidden part of the new campaign story we're launching and you'll get this cool thing on the day. The other cool thing about when you're playing co-op games together, yeah. everyone helps each other. Yes. So you don't need so many people showing you how to play the rules because the co-op players will help each other with the rules. And we're going to have awards for the person who's most helpful on the day. You're going to be discovering there'll be hidden secret envelopes that you open on the day. So all sorts of like hidden stuff. So that's what we're kind of exploring, this sort of idea. That again, it's like I love... You know, I come from the doing rave parties where we didn't want to charge too much money and everyone you know the people queuing outside the club were as important as the doorman mm. everyone had you know we would you know we used to you know because the classic thing is that you, if you walk into a club and you have a you know the doorman's an <laughs> asshole to yeah. you you have a terrible night you know it's that you, you want you know you've got to make sure everyone feels you know everyone's equal right mm. those guys walking off the street are paying your wages yeah. you know so we're come to that quite socialist sort of like clubbing yeah. background yeah. and for us you know for me it's like I want gamers to feel like you know there isn't going to be one winner today who walks away with a big cheesy grin and you know you know he's been playing it for a zillion hours like yeah. it, all of us walk away as winners you know yeah. and it's um, I, I love that idea that why can't you have everyone as a winner you know yeah. uh, I really like that I really like that um, so to pivot wildly from that though, yeah um, Solo gaming. You mentioned you mentioned solo gaming. Yes. Um, obviously, it's been a thing recently for some reason. Um, yeah. Uh, why do you think 
not why do you think it has been a big thing, but um, I think it's here to stay, right? I mean, it was getting big. I mean, there was yeah. the solo wargaming group, for example, on um, Facebook has been growing and growing and growing. Uh, I mean, of course, COVID kicked it off big time. Yeah. But there was definitely a move towards solo wargames. I mean, we launched Fallout as a solo wargame. Uh, Call to Arms for Elder Scrolls was designed as a versus game with AI and a solo or co-op game. I mean, that's from my upbringing growing up uh, without a wargaming group in my town. So I had to invent my own rules yeah. to play solo. And that's where a lot of my narrative ideas started. Like, I hate balanced wargames. <laughs> like, well, I mean, if, the classic, if you go into classic wargaming, like historical wargames, mm. who are reenacting, like, the Battle of Waterloo, yeah. a lot of those battles weren't, weren't no. balanced. No. They were very sided towards one enemy or another and no general you know most most commanders won't fight a battle unless they've got three to one odds yeah. like normal battles are not balanced yeah. so I love unbalanced battles I would love to be the guy who's who's outnumbered mm. to see what I can, whether I can yeah, yeah. turn the tide like, that's much more of a challenge to me as a gamer and I think um, uh, oh yeah there's one game I, I remember designing a game for um Alien Legion, this yeah. old comic book series, yeah, okay. and you know, I I would have this random unit draw to see what I, you know, I had this whole narrative structure I'd set up. What am I up against? And I'd have like, you know, half dozen of the characters from the comic books. Oh, I'm up against two tanks yeah. and like three <laughs> armored guys. This is gonna be, and then so okay, really, it's about escaping. Then this is not about. Or, yes, you know, it, yeah. So I had to change the story, you know, and you, yeah. you cope with what you get. I don't know. What about, what about that? Sorry, I know. I know we're not doing a brainstorming session. Yeah. But, um, but the uh, a war game where um, people turn up with their randomised army in some way, and then you decide what your objectives are after you arrive. Yeah. I think, I think absolutely. That's, I think that's it should a really be. Yeah. Or, or you don't know what you're fighting until you. Um, yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, of course, blind tournaments are. You don't know what the yeah. enemy is going to be bringing. But I, I want a tournament where it's you know where an event where you know we get together yeah. I, I'm bringing some Stormcloaks you're bringing some adventurers oh crap we're up against like a massive Centurion army <laughs> and it's like five times as big yeah. how are we going to do it yeah. like there's all sorts of, well, there's yeah. all sorts of clever ways yeah. we can deal with that yeah. and, and maybe we've just got to escape yeah. maybe maybe actually winning is just getting off with That's half it. enough of our forces left yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, all sorts of fun you can have with it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I um, I've recently, it's recently come to my mind that um, the first like 20 minutes of any game that you actually sit down and play is everyone around the table looking for the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean they're like looking for the game in on the board, yeah. or wherever it is, and they're trying to work out where the actual the, the actual game is. Yeah. Obviously, it doesn't exist in the parts. It exists in the, the bit in your head. Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of like a really nice example of that yeah you know. I mean there's a lot of um, I mean anyone who just lines up a bunch of soldiers n- n- you, of course you, there's a story in your head yeah. playing out and like you know the last guy le- the last few guys left in a unit yeah. that's the last stand and he's yeah, like yeah. come on can I roll the dice but I, I like introducing the narrative yeah. layer of mechanics that and not in a complex way but that rewards you for following a storyline um, but yeah, I just think there's so much more you can do with it. Uh, uh, and I, I mean, it's, it's exciting to be at this stage where loads of companies, uh, and I hope we're, we're, we're banging on about it so much that other people might go, oh, that's a really good idea. I'm going to do that too. And, you know, we publish five parsecs from home, which is Ivan Sorensen's 
you know, little procedurally generating uh, yeah. campaign game. Obviously, um, uh, Joseph McCulloch's Range of the Shadow Deep. We've got Five Leagues from the Borderlands coming, which is the fantasy version. Uh, Battle Space, which is modern day, yeah. you know, takes some SAS into, you know, against some, you know, uh, militia or, you know, Spetsnaz and yeah, all hell breaks loose. It's great fun. Okay. Um, so, I suppose we ought to mention where we are. Yeah. Because this is kind of your show. Uh, well, it's um, me and a uh, lovely man called uh, John Dodd. Yeah. Uh, co- we co-own Dragon Meat. And he has done all the work for this show because I've been so tied up with um, Skyrim. Yeah. Uh, so uh, absolutely all credit goes to him. He's done an incredible job of pulling the show together, which uh, also has been hard with... Um, uh, you know, it's the first one of the first major shows yeah. since lockdown has kind of come to an end we've had a great turnout it's really busy yeah it was more stands than we've ever had yeah. so more traders and it is a great show for I mean you get so many indies here like that you would never see probably online unless someone pointed you out but amazing little scenery you know people doing scenery dice trays yeah. dark, crazy unique weird dice hey, I just love indie I, RPGs I love you know show me a small pamphlet of um, uh, Random tables to roll. I mean, yes, so, yeah, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in my. Yeah, it's, it's here, best, you know? <laughs> best, and it's such a friendly uh, audience as yeah, well. So it's yeah. really good. Uh, everyone's been uh, super lovely. So yeah. Um, well, uh, is there anything else we need to plug? Um, what else is coming? Well, uh, lots of new acting Cthulhu books coming oh, yeah. in the new year. Homeworld a, RPG coming in the new year. Uh, the Acton Cthulhu core book. Oh, great! Coming oh, fantastic! Well. Okay, cool. Um, uh, awesome. I think of the next issue, ah, if great. I remember correctly. I'm quite awesome. tired. Okay. <laughs> no, same here. Uh, I mean, yes, we have so much stuff coming. That, uh, like I said, our big IP launch is going to be in the spring, which is very exciting. That's yep. uh, you know we're going back in time in in the uh, in the universe uh, where acting Cthulhu is. Um, and we've got another one that's forward in time, a futuristic yep. one that's coming as well. Uh, and then we've got another totally different IP, not the same universe, um, big futuristic one that's coming in 23. Yep. And we're going to start teasing it and uh, playtesting it next year. Very good. So. Okay, well, um, that's it. Chris, thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks for having me.